Hofstra's morning wake-up call. Morning wake-up call. Lively talk. Long Island life. National news. International issues. Through the minds and mouths of Hofstra students. You're listening to the Hofstra Morning Wake-Up Call only on 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University. All thoughts and opinions stated here on the Hofstra Morning Wake-Up Call do not reflect the views of 88.7 FM WRHU and its management, Hofstra University, as well as its board of trustees. All contrasting views can be sent to programming at WRHU.org or to 111 Hofstra University, Hempstead, New York, 11549. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to WRHU-FM Hempstead, 88.7 FM on the morning wake-up call for Tuesday. Of course, the best show. Uh, We're talking Long Island Life, national news, and international issues. Uh, Coming up, we're going to discuss the Michigan State University shooting that occurred last night, uh, as well as some shoot-downs for the China balloon uh, incident throughout the United States, as well as some um, response on the College Board regarding the AP African American History course, and all that coming up within the first hour for our morning wake-up call. So we'll see you then. First off, everybody, happy Valentine's Day today. Uh, I will say myself as what the kids call a single Pringle. Uh, I guess I don't know if I really uh, relve in this day, but I will tomorrow because tomorrow is the best day of the year, Singles Awareness Day. Uh, so I'll be looking forward to that when the time comes. Otherwise, Dallas, Kevin, Mikey, how we doing? What's the what's the vibe going on today? Are we celebrating Valentine's Day today? What's the deal? Um. Well, also, tomorrow is Danny DiCrescenzo's birthday, so happy oh. early birthday to... Uh, former morning wake up call director and current PD of talk. Um, Valentine's Day is cool, I guess. I have opinions that I think we as a society do too much with it. Like, if you have a person you want to spend Valentine's Day with, or if you have like friends you want to hang out with, it doesn't need to be a big event. I just really like Valentine's Day because pink is my favorite color. Um, yeah, that's my takeaways from Valentine's Day. I'm not really doing anything. I'll be in this building for probably 18 hours because I have, <laughs> up until tonight's Islanders game, I'll be in here, which okay. is really a fun way to spend Valentine's Day. And other than that, I mean, Luke, good luck tomorrow. Singles Awareness Day. I hope you got some good plans. Uh, a lot of fun. Turn up. It's going to be gonna be a treat yourself day, I think. Gonna Ooh, half-price chocolate? Oh, Discount yeah. Discount chocolate? CVS, you know it. Mm-hmm. They're going to have it there. Mm-hmm. So. You earned it. Oh, you know, I, I I don't know if I necessarily earned anything, but you know, we'll see. So hopefully, <laughs> so hopefully humble. that's the case. But Mikey, go ahead. I, I uh, Valentine's Day. Um, I'm still basking in uh my Super Bowl win. Um, okay. Yes, I was on the Kansas City Chiefs, of course. Um, I don't know. Hmm. I think Valentine's Day is like a fun holiday, theoretically. It seems mm. fun. It's my birthday though. Is your sister's birthday? It is. Happy birthday to Mikey's sister. Happy birthday, Mikey's sister. Happy birthday. But I think Valentine's Day is one of those holidays where people just get so stressed out about it, it takes away the fun. Like, the amount of money people spend on Valentine's Day. It's crazy. Yes. 
Now, we're, we're going to get together, I know, a little bit later for our Valentine's Day uh, half-hour mm-hmm. segment at the end. But uh, I know one thing that's a big deal is people who are allergic to red food dye, it's like a terrible day oh, for wow. them. One of the RAs in my building is allergic to red food dye. And she literally can't eat anything that day because everything's always a red food dye. That's crazy. Allergies are – I'm so happy I don't have any allergies because I do love trying food. Mm. Um I couldn't imagine being allergic to peanut butter. That's the one thing I that am. I... What? I yes, I am. Dang, Kevin. I am. But it is what it is, you know? Not, at least it's not red food dye. It's True. Such a, I have such a manageable allergy. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Red food dye is not manageable. I have friends no. who are allergic to, like, 25 different types of fruit. And so they're like, I just can't eat fruit. I'm like, that's that's crazy. Like, a fruit smoothie? I love a good fruit smoothie. So I would have to tough it out. <laughs> I would yeah, have to find it. a way. Yeah, that would be a rough one. Fruit. I like oh. fruit. I, I know we're all talking about the all food and whatnot, but of course we got our local, uh, our national news, I should say. For Of course, as food goes, it is the first course of Dallas's dish today. Oh, that's so. a good one. That was a good one, Luke. <laughs> Thank you. So Dallas, go ahead. What we got? Um, in today's headlines, uh, Cyclone Gabriel has triggered a national state of emergency and invoked thousands dis- being displaced and has been classified as the worst storm to hit New Zealand in a century, according to their prime minister. Reports are still coming from New Zealand, and many are concerned on the devastation of Cyclone Gabriel. Uh, The country of Japan has nominated a new leader to man their central bank, and economists are saying that the move is a surprise and could pave the way for the country to, quote, wind down its loose monetary policy. And in Colorado Springs, the Q nightclub has announced plans to reopen after the deadly mass shooting closed the, quote, safe space of the LGBTQ plus community in Colorado. And residents around East Palestine, Ohio, have expressed fears and concern after the aftermath of the train derailment and have reported dead fish and chickens, as authorities say it is, quote, safe to return. So we will be following that story more as residents in Ohio have differing opinions from local authorities. Mm. Conflicting reports, it seems, about chickens mm-hmm. and, uh, and stuff like that. I also feel like the Ohio story is something that, like, I haven't seen get a lot of news coverage except, like, of course, from national headlines, but beyond that, it's a story where there's major uh, environmental concerns as well as just general health concerns of people who live there, and it's a story that I feel like more people should be publicizing and talking about. Like I've seen stuff about it on Twitter, mm-hmm. but beyond the fact that the train was derailed and not really about the overall what was on the train, the environmental impact, and how that will affect residents in the surrounding area for how long it'll affect residents in the surrounding area. So something to look out for in the news cycle. It feels like this type of situation that gets covered up now because they know what's on the train Mm -hmm. and they do not want to tell you. And then in 20 years when half the area has health defects, unfortunately, and then it starts coming out, oh, this is what was there, this is what could have happened to you, Mm -hmm. and then everyone starts getting compensation. You hear those ads all the time now. If there was lead in your drinking water, you're you're entitled to up to $10,000. What is it? Whites and Luxembourg is a big one I know, right? That's, yeah. But I, I just feel like <laughs> residents being like, there are literally dead fish and chickens in the surrounding area, and then authorities are still like, you can come back home. Like, no, that doesn't yeah. that doesn't match up. Have you seen the videos of it? It's I, so scary. I saw a street level video of the initial explosion, whatever you want to call it. Mm. It was frightening. It is mm-hmm. just a black cloud shooting up into the sky. And according to this article from NBC News. Um, for days, authorities have been telling residents of the area around East Palestine, Ohio, that it's safe to return home after a 150-car train carrying hazardous chemicals derailed on February 3rd. 
The Ohio Department of Natural Resources said the chemical spill resulting from the derailment has killed an estimate of 3,500 small fish across seven and a half miles of streams as of Wednesday. So if it's in the water, that's something to be concerned. If it gets into like drinking water, that won't only affect East Palestine, Ohio. How many other areas around that town could it affect? Yeah. So I just feel like maybe we should pump the brakes on saying it's safe to return and do more of the groundwork to like investigate. I'm reading an article right now about it, and a hazardous materials specialist, these are the two quotes from him, we basically nuked a town with chemicals, and then I was surprised when they quickly told the people they can go back home, but then said if they feel like they want their homes tested, they can have them tested. I would have far rather they did the testing instead of letting people go back home. I don't know why from the jump testing wasn't the first. If you want to tell people to come home... If you want to give them that security blanket to feel as though it is actually safe to return home, you should just show them the results of the tests that you conduct to be like, hey, you actually 100% can come home instead of being like, it's up in the air if you want to or not. It's really your call. Mm. Like, I feel like authorities or scientists and officials should take the more um, active role in confirming the safety and concerns of others rather than just being like, sorry, this train derailed. Um it's all good now, though. You can go about your normal daily life with all of those small fish dying. Well, well, we'll have to see, I guess, what happens. I'm sure it'll be an updating story throughout, mm-hmm. if need be, so we'll have that. But I know, uh, Kevin, any any weather that we have? Anything good looking out there? Yeah, not a terrible weather uh, day today. So for today's forecast, it's currently 39 degrees outside of our WRHU studios here at Hofstra. Up in the sky, it is going to be clear skies for the rest of the day with an expected high of 52 degrees during the day and a low of 39 tonight. And it's just, you know, it keeps getting colder. I don't know what it was last night. I had some like wind chill or something mm-hmm. than it was. When it, It's like 14 mile per hour winds today. So I'm like, well, it's a degree pretty much every time you go down with the wind, depending on how long it is. So just like, oh, gosh. But I do feel like during the day yesterday was really nice. It was not bad temperature wise when I was like walking around campus. I felt pretty good about that. Today, this morning, it was kind of nice. I got to see the sunrise when I was on my little walk. And I'm like, oh. This makes like getting up a lot easier, just seeing the sunrise and it being like not frigid. Mm. I must have missed the sunrise because I didn't see that. Oh, dang, Kevin. I always time it exactly perfectly. So I'm here on time, but I get to see the sunrise. What time does it come up? Um, It was like 6.35. Yeah, you know, okay. Luke and I are already in here preparing for the show. Yeah, that, I- no, Getting yeah. ready. Oh, so this is just a call out of me being kind of late. No, no, I no. You were you were early. You were fine. I, I got I got up at <laughs> five. Yeah, I got up at five today, and I then got up at five forty-five. I set an alarm for five, five fifteen, five thirty, five forty-five, and I let all of them ring. Which mm. shout out my roommate Cami for putting up with that. And I just was like really warm in my blankets, and my room was really cold. So I was just like, let me ride this out for a little bit. I got up at. I was I wanted to get up at six, and I got up at six thirty, and then I was on my way here. I started fighting the vending machine because <laughs> it wouldn't it wouldn't give me my. I, I tried to get what is this uh, a cinnamon roll, um, so I, I I strolled in a lot later than you did, Dallas. So I think <laughs> I think you're okay. I don't know. Hey, everyone's here, so everyone's for the here. first time this semester, time. we it's have right. all four of full us here. Full Tuesday show, here. the full power of the Tuesday show is coming at you right now. And and while we have that full Tuesday power, we'll get to the first story that we have through there. Uh, granted, not not a story you ever want to report, uh, but unfortunately, one that is the case for now. 
Uh, so, of course, uh, last night, if anybody had seen um, through there, if need be, uh, of course, another gun violence tragedy that has occurred uh, throughout the United States again, uh, more so around uh, 7, 8 o'clock, I'd say so, during Central Standard Time uh, over there in Michigan at Michigan State University, uh, where a gunman had opened fire, killing three and wounding another five uh, at the institution. Uh, the shooter itself, a 43-year-old who had no affiliation with the school itself, uh, had taken campus police on a chase for a good few hours before ultimately being confronted and then killing himself. Uh, the intern chief of the campus police, uh, Chris Roseman, said there was no indication as to why the shooter ended up going to MSU to commit the act, but that residence halls and other main areas on campus were secure. Governor of Michigan Gretchen Whitmer said that it is a, quote, unlikely American problem, end quote. Michigan State has canceled campus activities for the next 48 hours. The remaining five injured is still in critical condition, according to the Associated Press. So, I'll say at least for me, I got this story news a little while Actually, not even, I was on Twitter, and I don't even have a Twitter, but I just figured to go on there and see what was trending. All you could see was Michigan State University active shooter, like, on the feed, and I was scrolling down. Of course, you know, initial reports, you know, can vary from time to time, but they actually had a broadcast feed for the actual, like, Lansing Public Safety, you know, um, Police department? Yeah, basically. And they, they had the like the walkie-talkie system and everything, so you could literally hear everything that was going on the entire time. And it's just crazy how much these things shift around so much. Because you hear things about how, well, there could be three shooters. And then, well, now we have a description, but now we don't really have a description. And then you have all these other people that are reporting that there's you know shots being fired and things like that. And they were saying that there might have been bombs and stuff that were on the campus itself. So the fact that there's so much that goes on in these scenarios, scenarios i literally thought with all the reports that were coming in it was going to be much worse than what actually happened which of course still devastating nonetheless but thankfully not as bad uh, as it definitely could have been uh but granted also important to note it actually is the fifth anniversary of parkland uh mm -hmm. for marjorie stoneman douglas today as well uh so i guess to note on there but I, I don't know what everyone else's initial reactions were initial thoughts of how this could have ended up but. um i was very scared because I know people who I went to high school with to attend Michigan. Um, Michigan, Michigan State, that is. Michigan yeah. State. I have. I know people who go to Michigan, Michigan State and the University of Michigan. Mm. I, in my head, always confused the two, so I was very much just concerned for all parties that I knew who attended the Michigan uh, like institution system. But I can't imagine being at a place where you're supposed to call home, especially if it's your home away from home, if you're a student who lives across the country and you go to the school to just get a degree and you're having a good time doing, you know, normal college kids things, like normal college kids things that we do every single day. And then you're uh, like immediately struck by fear for your life and the life of your friends. And Michigan is a huge school system. Mm -hmm. That's a large school. You, It's hard to keep track of the people that you care about on a campus that large. And I can't imagine being in that situation where you're told to shelter in place and not really knowing what's going on in the active heat of the moment and then not being able to get into contact with the people who are immediately super close to you. And, and then, Kevin, you think about that because obviously you have uh, – the last big one you'd probably say is probably Virginia Tech that you can really yeah. think of. And then, uh, obviously, there was one that was killed in a residence hall, apparently. I think it was at Beckley Hall was the name or things like that. And the one was killed in the uh, – two, I should say, uh, were killed in the student union over there. So I don't know entirely how you work it out with where do you go from here after this because you have – 
what what's the reaction to campus uh, safety response, how they did their handling through there, uh, if there's anything else through that nature. I, I think from what they were doing on the intercom, they did everything they could do. Because granted, I, I was talking with Kevin before the show started, it is a 5,000-acre campus. And that's oh, just the East Lansing area that they have over there at, Michigan, at uh, MSU, I should say. And so to cover all that ground in that short amount of time just isn't feasible itself. So I'm just wondering if it, let's say if it was at, I don't know, maybe a smaller institution or things like that, would it, uh, would it have been different in any way? Or do you think it still would have been uh, more difficult as it was? I don't know, because you, you almost want to, I'd like to give the security the benefit of the doubt here, because how do you cover in any college campus? Because I think of Hofstra, it's, it's not big, mm-hmm. but it's still big when you put it into, you know, compare it to regular institutions and facilities and regular homes and suburbs it's a big campus still here and that's like 10 times the size of michigan state so how do you even do anything about it anywhere it's just so tiring Mm -hmm. to see it because i don't know what the next step is because you can't get rid of guns you can't ban guns we already know that that's something that people try to go down that road every time it's never going to work you can't corner individuals who are going to do this you don't know they're going to do this Mm. obviously they have mental health issues so how do you, you know, people say you have to increase and improve mental health institutions and help. But you, these people have to check themselves in. Someone has to get them into this place. So how do you control that? Because there's always going to be people with mental health issues that you don't know about. Mm-hmm. And also going off what you mentioned on how can you patrol and make sure that an area that large is safe. Well, you can't because a like a 5,000-mile Square foot? Acre. Okay. I'm bad at units of measurement. 5,000 acre campus is a large, it's so large. I can't imagine having to make that comfortably work. I don't also know what MSU's like campus environment is like. Like, is it more of an open? Is it more like a city? I would think as a public institution, it most likely is, but I I can't Mm. say for certain. And speaking from institutions that I know that are kind of, I think, similar, like, I'm from Massachusetts, so I think of, like, Northeastern. Mm. Northeastern is not pretty much an open campus. It's smack in the middle of the city, so there's just no way to, like, secure it in a way that won't disrupt everyday life that exists and revolves around there. Like, East Lansing is also a place where other people may live, so you can't really patrol it as the way you might patrol Hofstra, which is a more enclosed campus, I'd like to believe, because our academic side of campus is kind of really enclosed. But when it comes down to it, It's hard to say what, quote unquote, security could have done better because I think, like Luke said, they did the best that they could with the, A, the environment that they had to work with and the number of people that they had to watch. Like, Mm. it's a large student body population. You can't follow all of it. And they did what they could to make sure that as many people as possible were safe. I I think Kevin was saying before the break, what was it, 50,000, Kevin? That was... 50,000 kids go there. And I just did the math. That campus is 20 times larger than Hofstra's entire campus. Yeah. 20 times larger. That's insane. How do you how do you do anything about that? Yeah. There's there's not really much you can do, mm-hmm. but uh, Mike, I'm I'm curious on your on your point over here if you want, but uh this is actually from the uh, Pew Trust, which is part of the uh Pew research uh and all that stuff, but this is for public institutions that rely on federal, state and other major funding sources at varying levels across states. And so it's the composition of revenue per full-time equivalent student. So how much each of the state makes off, let's say, a full-time student or anything. Michigan is actually the first with a, oh, sorry, um, at least federal revenue they get off of that, $5,948 per student there. 
Uh, net tuition and fees, they actually get $12,000 through there. State revenue is five. Uh, local revenue is uh, $1,600. Uh, and then you also have uh, other uh, self-supporting operations of $16,000. So I guess more of the question for this is, what funding then goes towards things like emergency preparedness and things of that mm -hmm. nature? Because you see here at Hasha, for example, really we have emergency preparedness in place, but a lot of the time it's just, here's a sign on the wall of what to do in the event any of these scenarios come mm -hmm. up. But you don't really have it where like in high schools and things like that, you had any of those uh, you know, lockdown, shelter in place procedures and things like that, that maybe we're not, I mean, we know of, but that maybe we're not necessarily ready for, maybe not trained as much as we could have been, but. I do think it comes down to it, and we keep mentioning this, but it really does. The nature of the environment, uh, like Kevin mentioned, it's 20 times larger than Hofstra, which has to be like, math is not my strong suit, but at least 30 times larger than your average high school. Mm. High schools, I think, have the benefit of being a more confined and enclosed campus, just speaking from my experience of where I went to high school. Um, so Michigan's Michigan is just a different beast to handle because it's so large, it's so sprawling. There's so many people who are coming in and out. Like the um, suspect was a 43-year-old man who reportedly has no ties to the university. Mm. You can't really single someone out like that because it's just a regular human being who might just be in the East Lansing area, and that's hard to make that call. And it's in this situation, it's really the East Landing Police Department or the campus security truly did from my standpoint right now from what we know right now and that may evolve and change as more information comes to light did the best that they could with a chaotic and crazy situation that nobody wishes to happen anymore it keeps happening and like kevin mentioned earlier it's so hard to find a real and viable solution because there's so many moving alternative factors and there's so much politics behind solutions that may seem quote-unquote simple like oh we need better gun control we do need better gun control in this country however different sides have different opinions on what good con gun control looks like different sides have different opinions on how good gun control or what may be considered good con gun control could affect their liberties and freedoms but i think we all as a society need to agree on the base fact that people shouldn't be afraid to live their lives anymore mm -hmm. It stinks yeah. that with the topic of gun control, I don't think it could actually even work. Because if, if you think about it, I could be wrong. I don't own a gun, mm -hmm. so I'm not an expert in guns. I'm not going to act like one. But I feel like it's going to be one of those things that everyone's going to be able to access anyways. There's going to be some sort of a black market, you know, under the table type of dealing that occurs that anyone that wants to shoot up a, a school or, or a concert or anything is going to find a way to get what they want well i'll add to that point kevin because a lot of the times also could be like for uh, like i guess for children for example like the one in tennessee i remember it was like the, it was like the parents gone or something or however yeah. that happened with that uh but i don't know entirely if that would be every case in that instance but i think like you said there's not really a way to fully control it if anything does come up but i think there can be some solutions that can help out at least to mitigate it but i don't think it's going away forever i think it's something we have to deal with unfortunately in our society or at least in america as governor whitmer had said but i i think it's something that i guess in the uniquely american problem as that is uh something that we might have to deal with for whatever we have but uh, i guess for any final thoughts on this end 
Uh, I, I'm just happy that it wasn't more people. I remember that listening to that feed and stuff, it sounded like it was just really going to be atrocious. But thankfully, and again, still bad that we had three people killed through that instance as well. But I think it's good, at least the response-wise, how much they were able to get done through there, yeah. but mm-hmm. how much they were able to mitigate. Because a lot of the times it was also, we have 30, 50 people like, sheltering in place in this classroom. Like, Are they good to go? They had people who were knocking on doors because they said they were firefighters, but they had to make sure there were firefighters to get people out of there. Like, And that's something that... It has to be so terrifying being in the situation and then not knowing if you can trust first responders or mm. if somebody's lying to you about being a first responder like i know my mom is an educator and she talks about like explaining to like students like you cannot in this situation you cannot open the door for anyone who just says that yep. they're a teacher or a parent or a police officer or a firefighter like you need to confirm that before you potentially could put yourself in more safety because people might lie and that's like a horrifying thought because you're supposed to trust these people to help you in these situations and people could like abuse your need to have somebody to trust in that initial trust that you just afford people in those positions of power yeah i i think i think a big thing that that happens that happens um often on these circumstances and it's an unfortunate it's a i mean every single aspect of this is unfortunate and uh an unfortunate ex- thing that happens after is, is we'll talk about about the matter you know we'll talk about it there will be political debates where there shouldn't be political debates but there will be political debates and then we're going to move on and then it's going to happen again and we're going to be back in here maybe the same studio having the same conversation about another school and it's and it's not okay like by by any means um but also what what like we were like dallas kevin and you were talking about luke what what can this is a 43-year-old man who has no connection, no affiliation to the school. I don't, I don't know. It, it, it's not like you can really track them anyways. You I mean, can. sure, you, you have social media, but even then, it's you can't detect everything every single second. You're not going to have... Well, you're not going to have Twitter, especially, I guess, because they're just having open stuff now. But you're not going to have, like, Facebook, for example, catching every single thing that happens on there uh, with any interactions. And, of course, even government, you know, for FBI and, you know, things of that nature, you usually have to get a lot of tips regardless to try and go and track a lot of them down if that's the case, too. But you you would hope there's more monitoring in that case if that's it as well. But I, I don't know. So mm. Yeah, it's got to end at some point. It's a cycle of every couple months, and it stinks. Tired of talking about it. Well, otherwise, we can only hope that the remaining uh, uh, ones who are injured get well and be safe uh, through there as well. There is, again, no main update on the condition other than just critical condition for the remainder of those students. Uh, But, of course, uh, hopefully Spartan Strong for the rest of them up there in Lansing. Uh, Nevertheless, though, we're going to take a quick uh, break on the song with Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, of course, and then we'll head on back when the time comes. Again, this is the Morning Wake Call on WRHU. Wake up your mind. Start your day with Hofstra's morning wake-up call. Weekday mornings, 7 till 9 a.m. Lively talk about Long Island life, national news, and international issues from the minds and mouths of Hofstra students. And, of course, welcome back, of course, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On Over There, of course, from the titular album on that end. Uh, nevertheless, though, we're going to get to our next story on through. And, of course, uh, we've definitely been seeing some, uh, I guess, UFO-type objects, in a sense, uh, through here, but also more uh, on the end about the uh, balloon shoot-down uh, for uh, the United States. So, Dallas, go ahead. 
actually. Oh, it's Kevin. Oh my gosh. Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> Luke, it's all right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Kevin and I are literally twins, so it's fine. Don't take this one for me, though, because I love this story. Okay, go ahead. Over the last few weeks, we've all been following the story regarding the China spy balloon floating over the United States. This has caused some unrest among Americans due to the uncertainty of China's intentions. After shooting down the balloon, the government is now taking a look at the balloon debris in an attempt to discover China's intentions and findings by examining the technology the spying device possesses. Recently, Washington has made claims that Beijing has a fleet of spy balloons deployed all over the world. In response to that claim, Chinese officials said that over the last year, the United States themselves have flown over 10 spy balloons in Chinese airspace without permission. Both nations have been pointing fingers and claiming the opposition is making false accusations about any sort of fleet the other country uses. Chinese diplomat Wang Wenbin has, was adamant that the United States is not the victim here. He said the United States should, quote, first reflect on itself and change course rather than smear and instigate a confrontation, end quote. I think that this is an awesome story because I understand the fears of it and the issues that could arise. But we, I could tell you that the United States is spying on China and vice versa. Why would the U.S. make claims when you know China is just going to come out and expose you? Mm-hmm. I completely agree with that. And I do think the um, the diplomat had a really good quote, like, we should reflect on our own behavior instead of just being like, oh, we're going to try to get out ahead of this and paint uh, China probably wrongfully as the sole instigator in this scenario, when in fact China seems to have evidence to back up the fact that we have done this on multiple occasions mm. at least 10 different times. So I just feel as though, like, it feels silly by nature because of the quote-unquote concept of a spy balloon, but if it's an issue of national security from either country, then it should be t- handled seriously. But at the same time, you can't make this like a petty... It feels petty to be like, oh, China is spying on us, when in fact China's like, you've been doing the same exact thing. You've been exhibiting the same exact behavior. Yeah, I, I feel I feel like it's a thing that's like... like um like on a more like bringing it down to a really small scale it's like when there's two people and it's like well i was gonna do it but like why are you doing it like like when someone does something that the other person doesn't like so i mean i don't know i i've seen a lot of reports on what if what if it's uh aliens <laughs> um i mean that would be that kind of be really cool or that could be like not so cool that's definitely on. if if that is <laughs> aliens that's way more concerning to me uh, a lot yeah, <laughs> yeah so, a lot kevin more. do you believe in aliens I, there's got to be something out there. The amount of galaxies that I'm exist big, in the world. I'm a big alien believer. Yes, Mikey. Okay, okay. You got excited for me. <laughs> I got nah. Yeah, I um. Okay, this is my this is my thing on aliens. I I think I I have this theory that so the thing is right. The universe is. I think I think it was like if you traveled at the at light speed, right? It would take like forty five point six or something like that billion light years to reach the edge of the observable universe. Okay, so. Let me get this straight, right? So there's all of that, right? Now, you're telling me there's nothing there. That's a scary. That's but, a scary but, thought to me. But then it goes. But then it goes further because then I think there are some things that like aren't meant to be comprehended. Mm. So like for example, right? The, like back. Like if I if I were to start at the very beginning, okay? Universe's creation. One of three things happened. Something like the Big Bang happened, or like one of those theories come true. Uh, universe always existed, or there's a higher power. No, no one person can actually sit there and comprehend all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing, but the thing is, there. I feel like I feel like there's only. I feel like you can't have like for example. 
if something like the Big Bang happened, there's no way that life was only created once. Once, but also you have to factor in though the universe has been around for so long. What if we're the only one right now? Yeah, that's. And then there's and then there were there were some a while ago. Some people think that we're like the North Sentinel Island of of the galaxy that aliens exist, but they leave us alone. We're not far enough advanced. Uh, we we couldn't contribute much to them. What do, what do they gain from being here? So I don't know. I find it interesting. I always. A lot of people like to blow a whistle on, oh, this is an alien, but uh, mm-hmm. but not to get too far off topic because <laughs> let's be real, it's it's probably not aliens, uh, fortunately, uh, but but no, in terms of this, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a very big. I do feel like people on Twitter were having a field day with this, and yeah. it kind of again, once again, made this a comical situation rather than maybe taking the heat of how serious this could be if it's a more of a heavily serious national security issue mm. of any nation, not necessarily just China, having the power to be undetected on over U.S. like airspaces. Um, because it just goes to show, like, we like to pride ourselves as the United States on the secure, our national security. That's a big thing that we like to tout. We spend so much money, in my opinion, and it's only my sole opinion, maybe too much money on military spending versus mm. other avenues to improve life of everyday U.S. citizens, but those are my two cents. Um, we spend so much money on our military budget, and then something as, quote-unquote, silly or simple as a balloon, however that is described, can just get into U.S. airspace and not be detected or be undetected for X amount of period of time or just not be reported to the public for X amount of period of time is something that I feel like everyday citizens are going to be like, why do we have, why do we get to feel so safe when in fact all this stuff is going on with us being unaware? It's kind of like the uh, the the eyes of Dr. J.T. Eckelberg from The Great Gatsby, right? The, mm. Their eyes are watching God and all that stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't. <laughs> it's too much too much surveillance for me. But uh, hopefully I think both countries can at least try to understand that maybe spying on each other is not the best look. I mean, granted, I guess you want to get some insider scoop or whatnot. But overall, it's not going to work with U.S.-China relations right now, mm-hmm. especially with all the friction going on through that. And then you have Taiwan, of course. It's the whole deal. Hong Kong over there. So a lot of those... I guess um, international conflicts and affairs is really just the the next tipping point almost in these uh, fractured relations. Mm-hmm. But I know, uh, Ad- Dallas, you were showing us we before. We do have some breaking news in terms of U.S. politics. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. So former South Carolina Republican governor Nikki Haley has announced this morning in a video that she'll run for president in 2024. The story is obviously very new and very breaking, so updates will come later down the line. Um, this I got this from my CNN feed. Also, shout out Danny D. Crescenzo for texting this to producers once again. However, for the future of politics, especially for the Republican Party, which things are up in the air for both sides of the aisle, but, mm. uh, basically, Nikki Haley will be running for president in the upcoming election. Yeah, I think uh, I actually remember hearing about this. She was going to make it the announcement. I thought it was going to be tomorrow, I guess, um, change of plans for today. I don't because I thought it was going to be the 15th, but I'd, maybe maybe that's wrong on my end. But uh, like you said, Dallas, of course, former U.N. ambassador, I think it was under the Trump administration there, uh, former governor of South Carolina over there as well. Uh, and, and granted, it's going to be interesting to see how, how uh, she works. Mm-hmm. The race. She's never lost the race. That's always her big uh, thing she always says. Uh, granted, 
Um, I'm interested kind of to see how that works between also uh, a, a Donald Trump and then a Ron DeSantis if, mm-hmm. if DeSantis does decide to run through there. Well, but I think she has a she, I mean, she, she has a fairly good shot if I had to guess. She posted in a video message on Twitter. Um, she touted her record as South Carolina's governor and said, "quote It's time for a new generation of leadership." End quote. Um, she also apparently identified numerous threats facing the country from the quote socialist left end quote to Russia and China. Um, and then just basically said that those who see the United States as vulnerable shouldn't see them as vulnerable. That's really kind of seems to be. That's a very hawkish policy, mm-hmm. I think. That it seems to be like, her yeah. her forward first message um, to announce that she is running for president. And if you if you want to start, you start off with a bang. I mean, I guess there's always that. But I I, I think with this uh, instance, it'll be interesting to see how that works, as I mentioned before, and I, I lost my train of thought on this, but Kevin, do you have any uh, any, any feedback on there? This is another thing that just fascinates me, because this 2024 election's a disaster. <laughs> there is nobody good running. So I love when new candidates are throwing their hat in the ring because mm-hmm. there's just no one good going. I, I mean, this is cool. You know, you get a, a female who I'm not going to say she doesn't have a chance. So I think anyone going into this has a chance. You have a couple good debates, show up a couple times. Mm-hmm. I think you got a shot at becoming the next president i really know i was just gonna say with, with the republican party then how how does that work in that like new generation of leadership because obviously you you've had the party for at least a fairly long time where it's mostly mo- mostly at least you know white males in that particular mm-hmm. space you have 2016 you have carly fiorina that comes in uh you have a few uh, i think uh, michelle bachman was in there at one point in time back in the day um, I know Dr. Ben Carson was in there for a little bit, but how how does that future of the party shift then? Because obviously you have you know Trump who was in there at least the what I guess the um, figurehead the figurehead if anything uh, at least on the post Reagan years if anything mm-hmm. else. But then how does that change over? That I think time? If, if if it does with this 2024 election, there's going to be a lot of if we're going to focus on the Republican Party because the Democratic Party also has things that, it needs to figure out yep. quickly. Um, for the Republican Party, we have three main names right now. We have Donald Trump, who has people who I like to view as separate from the Republican Party as like Donald Trump loy- loyalists. Mm. So he has his loyalists who are going to root for him if the going gets tough, no matter what. Even if he doesn't get the final um, nomination, I feel like they're still going to root for him one way or another because of the mindset that comes with that. Then we have Ron DeSantis, who might appeal to more, I don't want to say regular Republicans, but that base, separate for Trump. A Trump Jr., I guess. If if we want to go there. Then you have Ron DeSantis. And then you now have Nikki Haley, who, in my opinion, may have several factors working against her, being a woman, um, being relatively kind of, I guess, I believe younger than both of them. Yes. Um, So those are things that might work against her from the traditional Republican base that might gravitate more towards candidates like Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. I will, yep. uh, I'll, I'll just add super quick, uh, third Indian American actually to run for president. Uh, that was uh, Bobby Jindal was the first uh, from Gardner, Louisiana. And then, of course, uh, Kamala Harris for uh, 2020. So just throw that in there. But yes, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think a story to watch is, I, I, think, I think if this is the election that, because, because let's be real, independent parties, they, 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 or third parties, they, they don't have a chance. They never, they never do. Uh, they, they should, but at the end of the day, people they stick to their party discipline and they go to the party like it's their sports team. I, th- I think if if no third or independent party candidate makes a legitimate run, and I'm ta- I'm, ta- I'm not talking they get 
they get five to ten percent of votes, which usually is like a, a miracle if they can get that. Mm-hmm. We we need to reevaluate why 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 are we always being stuck with these two options? Maybe we're being stuck with these two options because we keep doing the same thing over and over again. We say vote blue, vote red. How how about how about some new parties? How about how why why does it have to be? Everything has to be Republican and Democrat. Why why can't there be a third party? Mm-hmm. And I feel like every time there's a third party, they either don't get the traction or no one takes them seriously. And it's like a common acceptance, like oh you know they, they well they don't have a chance. They're they're not Republican mm-hmm. or Democrat. I mean that's I- a problem. I ought to say the last time that probably happened was at the Ross Perot, or if you remember, um, the former governor of New Mexico. Oh my gosh, I, Gary, what's it? With the Gary, last? Johnson? Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson. That's it, Gary, because that was a big traction in 2016. I remember voting Gary Johnson a lot in that sense. I mean, it's it's a was financial whole... issue, really. Yes, because it there's is. such a disparity between funding for Republicans and Democrats, and then anyone else. But, I always said. The only person that is like a specific example, whether you like him or not, if Michael Bloomberg ran for a third party, that's the type of guy that could win a third party. Well, remember he did he did the Democratic primary in 2020, had all that cash for him, actually spent the most, I think, over a billion dollars on a presidential well, primary, yeah. not even a general campaign. Uh, but even even so, I think it's. But he's also part of the old guard at this point. I think mm-hmm. I really don't think you have that. Um, well, I mean. I think forward-thinking on climate change, of course, but I also think that in general, it's just you need a new face for leadership, mm-hmm. I think. I think, I think all around, and I might just be speaking as a member of the younger generation, we do need a new face of leadership we do. because I feel like especially younger people are kind of tired of seeing much people who are much older than us who often feel as though they're from a different era of the United States that might not reflect what we as citizens now with more political... Um, power and prominence and a larger voice than when we were like kids when we didn't really pay attention to what was going on we kind of were just like why can't we have something that appeals to us as well because speaking switching from the republican side and third party side to the democratic side right now the front runners beyond joe biden according to the hill seem to be kamala harris and hillary clinton yeah which well, yeah, those are options. Hillary Clinton, as opposed to Columbia, she's not. She's not going to exactly. run again. So those are potential options. But I feel as though, like Mikey said earlier, I think people are sick and tired of voting for candidates fully just along party lines, especially if those party lines don't feel representative of what you truly want. Mm. But it really does come down to at the end of the battle when it comes if when it com- traditionally comes down to Democrat versus Republican, people are going to vote along those party lines because. They value the party identity versus individual policy ideas because it yeah. always just comes down to a one-on-one battle versus multiple pe- different people getting more of a fair shot and it, more people getting a say. It's yeah. really like a sports championship in itself, I think, as Mikey was referring to mm-hmm. before. Yeah, um, and like for example, I've had I've had this kind of conversation with a lot of people, and, and from what I've from what I've gathered in my personal experiences talking to people, um, it's a serious problem. Um, you know, like you can go to neighborhoods and stuff like that. It'll say, it'll just say vote blue, vote red. Um, and I was talking to, uh, one of my closer friends, um, in November prior, prior to, uh, election season. And, and he, and he told me like of the saying, there was a saying like, I don't know who started this saying, but it was like vote blue no matter who or something like that. I remember hearing that in like third grade when we learned about like, it was the first time I remember the first time. Uh, former President Barack Obama ran against Mitt Romney. Mm. Yeah, we did like a mock voting thing. I I remember doing that too. And, and yeah. but now the now the thing is, I now I said to my friend, I said, 
why why don't you want to do your research on the candidates and then and then make an informed decision from there um and he's and now the point he gave was uh he said well the blue is more likely to represent my beliefs and ideologies i mean i don't know i, th- I think there's a large prop but i think that's emblematic of a much larger problem people aren't willing to do a few google searches to see what a candidate is actually about and they'll instead sit there and they'll vote for the same thing over and over again i mean what what people say the definition of crazy is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result we this is crazy um big problem we need new faces uh, especially like that on the democratic side uh we what what's the youngest one of the three how how old are they nikki haley is 51 i looked that no, up. on the democrat side oh on the democratic side i might be kamala harris she's definitely the youngest of the three though yeah, yeah. kamala yeah. harris is 58 and yeah. kamala harris is 58 so the minimum age to run for president is 35 let's be yep. real no 35 year old is going to get elected to be the president anytime soon but the, the thing is so we've dismissed that we say okay no 35 year old can, is going to be president even though it's technically allowed but also We'll, we'll we'll bring people who are just about eighty years old in office, and then and then I I can't help but question. Well, you're eighty. How how confident am I that you? No one. In, I'm not talking about anyone in particular. How confident can I be that you at eighty, when you're not going to be here in twenty to thirty years, are setting us up for the future and not just the now? Mm. Well, we'll have to see how it goes. I mean, granted, I know big announcements coming through. So, and there's plenty more to come, I'm sure, in this election season because even though it's 2023, I can tell you right now, it already is election season for 2024. So, definitely looking to see how that's going to shape up when the time comes. Uh, but before we get going into the second hour that we have going on, uh, I actually an interview uh, not even the other day uh, with Dr. Rebecca Natow because we do have a higher education uh, event coming up over here. Uh, actually, it's going to start tomorrow. So if you want to go, it's at the uh, Helen Fortunoff Theater over here on Hofstra's campus. It's going to be Wendy Fishman and Howard Gardner discussing their book, their uh, their book on the uh, uh, the real experience for college and higher education, what it is and what it can be uh, through that as well. So here's just our interview through that, and then we're going to get back to you after that time. The purpose of higher education has been a growing topic in the education landscape. Many families and students see the rising costs, academic achievement, and career success as factors or inhibitors to achievement in college. Hofstra University will be hosting an event entitled The Real World of College, What Higher Education Is and What It Can Be on February 15th at the Helen Fortunoff Theater. Here to discuss is Dr. Rebecca Natow, Assistant Professor of Educational Leadership and Policy in Education at Hofstra University. Welcome, Dr. Natal. Hope everything's going well. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me on. So could you just explain for our listeners what this event is going to be uh, up there on the 15th? Yes. So this is going to be a book discussion by Wendy Fishman and Howard Gardner of their recent book, The Real World of College, which was published by MIT Press in 2022. We will have Wendy Fishman live and in person at the Fortune Off Theater. Howard Gardner will be uh, present on Zoom. And the way that the event will run is that Wendy Fishman will give an overview of the book. I will then ask her some moderated questions. We'll have a conversation up on the stage about the book with both Fishman and Gardner. And then we will open up the floor to questions from the audience. So the audience will have a chance to get to ask the authors questions about their book. And granted, you talk about this book already. Again, the real world of college, what it is and what it can be that mainly trying to challenge a lot of the preconceived notions that people have, maybe higher education from an outside perspective, of course, the rising costs and things of that nature. But what are, what are some of those ideas they stress within that book? Yeah, well, you've already mentioned a couple of them. Uh, one of them is the rising cost of college. I'm a 
higher education policy researcher, and that is something that comes up a lot in the policy discussions and with policymakers, you know, the escalating price of higher education and tuition and student loans. But one of the findings from Fishman and Gardner's work is that once a student is in college, the, the costs are obviously a factor when deciding where to attend college, but once a student is in college, they're not really thinking about the cost and the price so much. They're thinking of other things, um, one of which is their own mental wellness and all of the, all of the stressors on a daily basis that, that impacts college students. So that's one of, the, one of the preconceived notions that I think the book does a good job of pushing back against. The other thing is the, the idea that there is one single purpose to college, you know, whether that purpose is you go to college to get a degree so you can achieve upward social mobility, get a job perhaps that you wouldn't be able to get without the college degree. Well, some students and their families definitely have that perspective of college, but what Fishman and Gardner identify are that there's many other perspectives in college, including intellectual transformative experiences and other, other views of what the purpose of a college education is. So I do expect them to discuss those things at great length on Wednesday's book talk. So I know there's this really main focal point they try and hit on in this book, and that concept is called higher education capital. So what, what would you describe this concept being overall? I know they're going to discuss it at the event itself, uh, but what you granted uh, think that it comprises of, if anything else? Yes. So it's an important concept. It's one that Fishman and Gardner identified in their research. As you mentioned, it's higher education capital. And um, I've seen Wendy Fishman in her own words, which I think she puts it best. So I'll quote her now. She describes that concept as, and I quote, a student's ability to attend, analyze, reflect, connect, and communicate on issues of importance. And the example that she gives is if you were to have a discussion with a stranger, say on a train commuting into the city for your job, perhaps, you could strike up a conversation about just about anything and you'd be able to have that conversation and make connections with other things that you've learned and um, draw upon different perspectives and ideas. And that's the that's sort of the capital that a student obtains when they complete their higher education. So that's the concept. And I, I think they're going to be talking a great deal about it and going into much more detail on Wednesday. So I know you already quoted the book in a sense, but how would you say the book itself, when of course discussion happens, but how would the book itself change the way that people think about higher education in general, as we already discussed before? I think that's a great question. And going back to the research that Fishman and Gardner conducted, they went to um, many different campuses, different types of colleges and universities all across the country. They literally interviewed thousands of people, different stakeholders in higher education, whether they're students or alumni or faculty and staff and other stakeholders as well. And they developed their model for higher education capital or HEDCAP, and they developed all of these findings based on speaking to people at the campuses. And so that's really, I think, the most valuable part of this is, is something that you can't learn from anything other than going there and, and speaking to the people and hearing about their experiences and really synthesizing all of that data. So I think the, the main contribution here is HEDCAP and the other concepts, but What's really important to understand is that they're based on that data, on that interview data with, with all those different students and other stakeholders at campuses across the country. Now, now I'm curious because this data was mainly collected before the pandemic when they were doing this collection data. So do you think there's any real change in that data that uh, Fishman and Gardner did post-pandemic wise, if they've ever, did they try to evaluate that during that time? I think that's a really excellent point, and it's definitely something that is going to come up at the at the book talk on Wednesday, um, and it's something that they discuss in the book as well. There's a lot of the findings that will ring true even today, even though, as you mentioned, the interviews took place before the pandemic happened, and obviously higher education was impacted a lot by what happened during the pandemic. Um, so I do think there's a lot of findings will sort of carry over, regardless of the fact that higher education did go through somewhat of a transformation during the pandemic. But some of their findings might be impacted a little bit because of what happened over the past three years. And I fully expect Fishman and Gardner to discuss that on Wednesday. 
And for yourself, Dr. Natal, what would you say was your own biggest takeaway and message generally from the book of, of Gardner and Fishman's research? I think there were a few. I really appreciate the concept of head cap. And as a, as a faculty member in higher education, I want to know, you know, how can I use that information? How can I use that concept to make higher education a, a more transformative experience for my students? And because I teach graduate students who work in higher education as administrators, how I can sort of impart to them this concept of head cap so that they can use it in their practice to make to improve the higher education experience, make it more transformative for students. Also, as I mentioned before, I'm a higher education policy researcher. And so I was surprised to see that students aren't thinking about the, the price of college once they're once they're in college. So that's something else I want to figure out, want to understand what's going on with that and how that can inform policy discussions going forward. And finally, anything that we didn't get to that you'd like to add on your perspective, and then how can our listeners get in contact with you or, of course, you know, go to the event and things of that nature? Sure, yes. Um, just to uh, reiterate to your listeners um, how important this work is, how important uh, scholars, both uh, Wendy Fishman and Howard Gardner are, and how great of an opportunity this is to speak with them and to get to ask them questions. Um, as you mentioned, the book talk itself is happening on uh, Wednesday, February 15th at 4.30 p.m. in the Fortunoff Theater, and it's free and open to the public. There is a link to register to RSVP on Hofstra's events website. And if you want to seek more information from me, the best way you could do that is send me an email. My email address is rebecca.s.natow, N-A-T-O-W, at hofstra.edu. And again, that was Dr. Rebecca Natow, Assistant Professor of Educational Leadership and Policy and Education at Hofstra University. Dr. Natow, thanks again for your time. Thank you again. Wake up your mind. Start your day with Hofstra's morning wake-up call. Weekday mornings, 7 till 9 a.m. Lively talk about Long Island life. National news and international issues from the minds and mouths of Hofstra students. And again, that was Dr. Rebecca Natal there over there from our uh, Hofstra University School of Education. So great to hear and talk to her about that as well. And granted, I know a lot about higher education today we just talked about, so we definitely had a lot of that. Uh, but also more on the education realm. I know Dallas, we are uh, having our college board response uh, to the AP African American History course curriculum. So take it away. Mm -hmm. So we personally are all aware of the college board, which oversees the advanced placement courses and college entrance exams. The organization recently went after Florida Republicans this past Saturday for spreading, quote, misinformation about its new proposed African-American studies courses. Last month, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced that the Florida Department of Education would reject the new course because it, quote, included topics about race and he and other conservatives have pushed to a race from public schools, end quote, via the Huffington Post. The law is known as the Stop Woke Act was passed by the Florida Republicans last year and virtually banned educators from teaching students about racism and its role in American history. The course proposed by the College Board covered topics like mass incarceration and reparations. The College Board said in a statement that, quote, we deeply regret not immediately denouncing the Florida Department of Education's slander, magnified by the DeSantis administration's subsequent comments that African American studies lacks educational value, end quote. The College Board also released the course's official curriculum, which no longer includes many of the topics the Republican, Florida Republicans have denounced, like the Black Lives Matter movement and well-known black authors like Bell Hooks and Kimberly Crenshaw. This decision drew public backlash from scholars and the public, despite the board claiming the decision was not influenced by DeSantis. And I know in the break we did have a very prevalent conversation about the future of education, but I do want to talk to you guys a little bit more about it because I know my thoughts and opinions and feelings but I wanted to hear you guys first. This is frightening, this story. I mean, we I mentioned it last week. I believe I mentioned it last week that they were doing this. 
there's just there's complete staples of education and the way that this has been taught and the way that this was documented at the time totally omitted from the 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 curriculum so they're just any facts that are making them look bad or maybe would make someone uncomfortable which is not the true reason why Florida's doing this we all know why they're doing this then it it makes you know it's it's taken out of the curriculum and that's not fair that's not a way of teaching that's terrible for kids I'm just going to add in particular what was actually taken out of the curriculum. This is from uh, the Tallahassee Democrat uh, from USA Today over here. Uh, so uh, DeSantis and uh, the Department of Education also said the framework included, quote, queer, queer theory. The word queer is not found in either framework from May 2022 or February 1st. Uh, so granted, also, um, I guess, taking out on the intersectionality of it all as well. Because also, just even the word intersectionality was actually removed as well from the curriculum, which doesn't make any sense to me. I'm like, it's, it's literally a word. I mean... For me, it's just the blatant denial of historical facts and truth is A, insane, mm. B, the concept of erasing a word such as intersectionality from all record of education is so small-minded and petty, again, in my opinion. And the fact of the matter is, I'm kind of upset at the college board for altering and changing the educational curriculum. They did say that it wasn't because of Ron DeSantis, but it's a pretty funky coincidence that it happened. They retroactively did it after that announcement was made. And I also think these are important topics in black history Mm. that people should learn about. Um, Omitting authors who are very prominent public figures for their representation of African-American history or the African-American experience is also just a wrong thing to do if you want to do right by black and brown scholars who have dedicated their lives to this course and this curriculum and making it as um, transparent and transformative as possible. And I know you already mentioned uh, certain authors that were also omitted. Uh, another one that was omitted, actually, Henry Louis Gates from uh, Who Do You Think You Are, remember, on PBS. Uh, his book, uh, at least a, a topic of a reading from Henry Louis Gates, 40 Million Ways to Be Black, was omitted, as well, from the, which was initially in the curriculum then uh, taken out. But I think also to the intersectionality point, it's like you got at least – the black experience doesn't encapsulate one particular thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's a complete area of different intersectionalities, of course. Again, queer theory would be huge for the LGBTQ community especially. Because, uh, for, you know, the Stonewall riots were started by black queer people, so shout right. out them. So just that, f- it's a very frustrating thing. I always like to mention and shout out my mom, who is an educator, and knowing what educators go through on a day-to-day and knowing the sacrifices that they make just to give children a good school experience and to see that they're being restricted and limited in their ability to just be effective educators and be effective transformers in children's lives. And they have to be like afraid of punishment for just teaching about like the fact that slavery existed in America and it's like the fault of white people. Um, and it's not like that's a con- it shouldn't be controversial. That should not be a controversial thing to say that slavery existed in America here's why it existed in America, here's how white people profited off of slavery, and here are the aftermaths and effects that we're still seeing today. Doesn't offend me. Never offended me as a white man. It never offended me that we taught about white people being bad 200 years ago and, and even 50 years ago. But it just, it's not me. I'm not the one doing it. Just be nice to everyone. And I think it's so ironic that in all these, all the places where this stuff is happening, Texas, Florida, a lot of other places and they all are radical Republican states and they have radical Republican leaders. They're the first leaders and politicians to yell about free speech, but they're also the first to censor and remove 
stuff from the curriculum that offends them mm-hmm. and offends their race, ethnicity, religion. It's just always bottles. Hypocrisy right is a beautiful yeah. color I think, on them. I I I, th- I think the 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 thing is about about school and learning is, is it should be, um. Feel well, what? There, there's a common. I don't want to. I don't want to like insinuate like a, a belief or anything. But like, like there there's. I could be wrong, but there there's like a saying like, facts over feelings. Where I've heard I've heard Republicans say it a lot more than I've heard Democrats say it. Um, mm, that's a good point. School's the number one place where facts are the most pertinent detail. Now, I th- and not to mention, and I've heard I've heard from both sides. I've heard both of them say we've gone back and forth on the not we specifically like Democrats Republicans go back and forth with bannings of different things, right? Mm. Like sometimes so, some things have been banned, and Republicans have been saying um, more more on the radical side, I should say, have been saying, oh, well that's too sensitive of you. And then there's this mm-hmm. like. Uh, like Dallas said uh, while we were away, if your if your kid is uncomfortable, learning. is uncomfortable learning, like that's a them problem. I'm sorry, that's a them problem. Mm-hmm. What, like it's a them problem. It's also like you as a parent allowing them to feel personally guilty about slavery. Yeah, like if it's a like white a conversation child, to be had. Yeah, if a white child pe- feels personally guilty about slavery, that should not stop other children from learning that it's a issue that existed in America. And on top of that. If a white child is uncomfortable learning about racism, black kids are uncomfortable. Black and brown kids are uncomfortable with experiencing racism. Yeah. So that's my two cents on the matter. Yeah, I don't. I don't care what anyone's uh, political affiliation is. I, I think. I think at the end of the day, school should just be about learning. And if something's important to be learned, forget feelings. Just learn the information. I mean, we sit there and we learn about things like the Crusades. How about we learn about? How do we learn about things recent? Mm-hmm. And and we'll do a good amount of that learning, especially uh, not only in our schools, but also on the morning wake up call, because I know we have a lot more to get to for our second hour as well. So before we get to that, of course, uh, top of the hour, getting listening to WRHU FM Hempstead 88.7 FM here at Hofstra University. Proudly broadcasting from the Richard Philip Cavallaro Studio. R-H-U. Hempstead. You discovered. You discovered. A cornerstone of the Lawrence Herbert School of Communication. W-W-R-H-U. Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call. Morning Wake Up Call. Lively talk. Long Island life. National news. International issues. Through the minds and mouths of Hofstra students. You're listening to the Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call only on 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University. All thoughts and opinions stated here on the Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call do not reflect the views of 88.7 FM WRHU and its management, Hofstra University, as well as its board of trustees. All contrasting views can be sent to programming at WRHU.org or to 111 Hofstra University, Hempstead, New York, 11549. Hello, everybody. It's hour two of the morning wake-up call here on 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University. Of course, plenty to get to in our second hour for Long Island Life, national news, and international issues. Uh, we're going to be talking about historically a uh, black beach community out there in the Hamptons coming up. Uh, we also have uh, various Valentine's Day uh, stories as well. And, of course, if you have a funny business name, does that mean that you get more sales? Uh, we'll see when the case comes uh, at the end of that second hour. Otherwise, though, we will see you then, and then we will get going for that.
And welcome back, everybody. I know it's hour two. I know we're, we're gearing up for it on this Tuesday. And, of course, when it is Valentine's Day, you got to get ready because it's going to have a lot of fun to it. Uh, unless, of course, singles, as we mentioned in the first hour. But, hey, you know, that's okay. You know, I'll feel the love somewhere else, so I'll be all right. Uh, but, nevertheless, uh, Dallas, Kevin, Mikey, how we do it again? What's the what's the vibe going right now? The vibes? I feel like I always uh, pride myself on good vibes, and I feel like today's an amazing vibe. I'm really proud of the vibes today. Going into hour two, it's always good. Mm-hmm. Um, love hour two. Especially with these chuckleheads, you know. That's right. Oh, thanks, Dallas. Of course. I'm still celebrating the, the Super Bowl win, so um, uh, Peachy over here, um, Patrick Mahomes, you know. I, I, I forgot home. to mention at the at the top of the hour, Dallas, of course, being nominated uh, for oh, the NAACP uh, Chapter Awards here at Hofstra for uh, both a Student Journalist of the Year what? and Student of the Year. Awesome. So It was an amazing honor. I'm very proud of you know, myself for being nominated, if that doesn't sound too self-congratulatory. And also, congratulations to the all the other nominees. I did not win an award this year, but the people who did are quite amazing people. Shout out to Athena Dawson, as well as Sibyl, who is also a fellow member of the Morning Wake Up Call. Yeah, Sibyl. That's a, it's a Monday, right? Is it? Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. On, on Monday, on the Monday she's show. On the, the, no, she's on the no, Wednesday the, show with Wednesday? Alexa. I keep forgetting. My, yes, no, you're right, because it's Alexa, Sibyl, Emma, Nick. And, and Nick. Yes, mm-hmm. so there we go. But, yeah, no, it was a, I, remember, I, I remember I was there, and there was a, uh, Xavier Bell, of course, with official X there. That, uh-huh. was, that was something that day. Xavier did oh. a great job. It was a really fun event. I was a, very appreciative for being nominated and being invited. And my mom was really proud of me, and I felt really good. And uh, Dean Michelle, oh, so, sorry. Dean Michelle was there. Dean Michelle Van S. Grant, I love her. She is fantastic, wonderful, and amazing. And it was so good to see her. Best faculty member, of course, on the winner over there. True. So it was good to see. Uh, but granted, I know that was at least Hofstra news wise for what we have. But Dallas, I know you got some local headlines for us. So go ahead, take it away. Taking you through the news in Long Island today. So Long Island organ donations have increased above pre-pandemic levels, which is a very exciting thing for people to see. For having those numbers to return after the pandemic made it really hard for people who needed things like kidney transplants and just had health concerns in those areas. In other Long Island news, or in New York City news, New York City has lost more than $4,660 annually per worker due to remote work, a study goes to show from Newsday. And for those who use the LIRR to commute, it's go just to see that the LIRR ridership has jumped 50%, but still millions of passengers below its regular peak from before the pandemic. So that's mm. something that will be evolving. And in entertainment news, Ben Siller is set to star in the miniseries about Long Island triplets who were separated at birth, according to a Newsday report. And those are your headlines around Long Island. And that's the, the second helping of Dallas's dish there. So there you go. I uh, I know I myself being a triplet, of course I I don't want my triplets getting separated. I mean it's good good we were we all stayed together, but hopefully uh, Ben Stiller's style. I guess what is it show? Is it a like a lifestyle um, thing? It's going What's to the... be a mini series about a. I actually like am familiar with the case that it's about a true crime story mm. about these triplets who were raised together and then separated at birth and then somehow coincidentally like refound each other later in life, which I'm not gonna spoil it. Um, I can't remember what the documentary is called, but it is an insane story. Um, but it's cool to see that Ben Stiller is going to be in it. I don't know how they're going to make it work. Also, the uh, LIRR, you know, they had, they're they adding the uh, Grand Central uh, terminal there. I know I saw on my uh, Metro, on the MTA app, they had on Trading Time, they had a lot of those station outputs. So hopefully they get the ridership up again if need mm-hmm. be. Because, I mean, I know I always wanted to go to Grand Central right from LIRR, but all you can do is go to Penn. So I was like, oh, man, you can't go anywhere. But now now you get to go over there. You get to go right by the Seinfeld. Uh, not Seinfeld. What's the... 
There's like a diner or something under the bridge that's from a show. Oh, I am not familiar. I, I forgot. Kevin, local Long Islander. I have no idea. <laughs> I, well, when you get into Grand Central, that is, there's that bridge thing. I don't remember what it was. Oh, my gosh. I'm blanking. What we're not blanking on, though, is the weather. So uh, <laughs> hopefully it's uh, at least somewhat of a better time now. Kevin, what we got? We're actually just about the same as we were an hour ago. It's currently 40 degrees outside of our WRHU studios here at Hofstra and up in the sky. The rest of the day should be clear skies with an expected high of 52 degrees during the day and a low of 39 in the evening. So not much changing except for a one degree uptick since okay. 7 o'clock. All right, I'll, I'll take the one degree. I was saying at the top of the hour that that wind always gets me. So mm. especially on those event days, Dallas, I know oh, they're coming. No. Oh, I spoke into existence. If yes. you are a Hofstra student, hug a pride guide mm. this coming weeks because we have an event day coming up, and event days are wonderful times for new and prospective students to visit Hofstra University. Oh yeah. But pride guides put in really great work. So shout out all the pride guides who may or may not be listening. If I get any Valentine's Day love today, I guess that I'm a pride guide. Maybe Mm -hmm. that'll that'll do it. Um, And fun fact, uh, February 26th is the first in-person admitted student day for the spring semester. So it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Dallas is teeming with excitement over here, uh, but certainly one. To lo- I mean, it'll be it'll be good nonetheless. It'll be a lot of fun. I know mm-hmm. students really enjoy being here, so it's it's going to be great to see. Uh, so you definitely have that. Uh, but otherwise, in terms of I, I mean, Hofstra is definitely local news, but of course for Long Island news wise, I know we do have a story on this end for you. So I don't know who. Who's- it's mine. Okay, sorry. It right is a crazy story. So buckle in, folks. So 32-year-old Nicholas Aponte of Hophog filed a lawsuit last Thursday in the state Supreme Court in Manhattan. Aponte alleges that he lost his job as an Islip Park Ranger and was denied employment with the NYPD because of a text he sent concerning his disabled mother-in-law who uses medical marijuana to treat her depression, anxiety, and sleep apnea. Back in November of 2019, Aponte claims that in a job interview, State Police Investigator Scott Koontz said, asked to see his phone, and the investigator found a text that Aponte sent to his wife urging her not to smoke too much marijuana with her mom, who has had a medical cannabis prescription since 2016, and, quote, sometimes asks her daughter just to use marijuana with her, end quote. That quote was taken via Newsday. Both Aponte and his wife live with his mother-in-law and serve as caretakers for her. The suit claims that Aponte told Koontz that he did not smoke marijuana, and despite passing a drug test that day, Koontz told him the text was enough to bar him from working as a state trooper. The lawsuit claims that it is against the law to discriminate against somebody because they are a caretaker or associate with a disabled person. The complaint also specifically names a town of Islip employee who the document said falsely told the NYPD that Aponte had been fired because of, quote, drug use. The lawsuit seeks to have Aponte employed as a state trooper, NYPD member, or Islip uh, Park officer, as well as compensatory damages for lost pay, emotional distress, and other damages. So I think this is a really... In, it's a wild story to unpack just because of the fact that he seems to have claimed to be fired or let go from his position and or not be given a different position because of his relationship with his mother-in-law as a caretaker when in fact evidence goes to show that he wasn't using medical grade marijuana at all, which I personally don't know if that is against the rules for police officers or officials in on Long Island or anywhere else, but... I- 
I don't know, but that that's certainly a crazy story, though. I mean, I, I don't know why it's the case that if, if you're caring for somebody and maybe maybe they have, um, you know, a, a use for a drug and things like that, that that's nothing on your end. I mean, it's not like you're doing anything. And frankly, because the state itself legalizes marijuana, I don't know. Like you said, I don't know exactly how that mm-hmm. works in that structure for state troopers or things of that nature. But I, I guess they're held to a different standard somehow. I don't know. Uh, but that that one is definitely a tricky situation. I mean, I, I would think that this officer would... I don't know if they're actually going to end up being employed. I think at this point it's just a grievance kind of thing. But I think that in the event uh, that they are able to prove their case, which I think they will in this instance, uh, there could be at least some uh, respite from it, if anything else. Mm-hmm. This is so odd because it took me a minute. You said buckle up and you read it. And I didn't say anything initially because I have no idea what's going on here. Because I had to do a double take. How does this even make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't even know how this ha- how this is possible. And um, uh, Aponte's lawyers and a lot of people who are like representing and rooting for him are like, it's it's weird that they asked to see his phone, and it's weird that they're using text message evidence that does not prove that he himself uses drugs. He also said that he does not use drugs, and he also passed a drug test that day during the interview. So there's no evidence to show that he has a history of drug use or has participated in that behavior, and they're using. According to him, the investigator said that this is enough to bar you from working in this position. I don't see the through line. Again, maybe officers are held to different standards when it comes to things like this. But the fact of the matter seems to be his relationship with his mother-in-law, who suffers from a a variety of different issues, which he has prescribed medical-grade marijuana and has been for an extended period of time since 2016, that's enough for him to lose his to feel as though he lost his job and has been unable to be promoted. I don't under, I can't I can't see the logic behind this reasoning at all. If an immediate family member smoking is enough to get you taken out of the, the police force or taken out of your position as state trooper or whatever it may be, half of the force would be gone. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that most I think most people probably smoke marijuana under the age of 60. Most people probably do. So you I don't even understand this. I don't like he didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And Dallas, why did you bring me this puzzling story this morning? <laughs> I thought it was a very interesting story because, on on top of that, there have been history of um one of the lawyers in this case. There's they have a history of representing officers who use medical grade marijuana who have been let go because of their use of medical grade marijuana. Which I also think if it's prescribed to you for a health reason, you can't discriminate on somebody because of health can like. On that type of health yeah, that, That's HIPAA itself anyways. It, it's a, I mean. it feels like a HIPAA violation. But on top of that, he's he was puzzled because he was like, I've never been in a case before where it comes from somebody who associates with somebody who smokes marijuana getting fired because they have a relationship with that person. And also, I think it's um, amicable that he's taking care of his mother-in-law in this case, like his wife and him actively live with his mother-in-law and have to help her with a, for a variety of different reasons because of her disabilities and him losing his source of income puts them in a bad position too. I don't know if his wife works, maybe she does, but I do know that going from a two-person income household to a one-person income household and then taking care of another adult person on top of that and whatever else they need to do in their day-to-day lives, that's a hard that's a hard reality to deal with. So I completely understand why he's filing for compensation because it seems unfair on the surface and maybe they're or other things that are not coming to light because this is still an unfolding story. But I would sue too because I have to take care of myself and my partner mm. and our mother-in-law and then just the 
cost of just being a human being existing on the planet today. But I'm just like, in a job interview, asking for your phone, like, did they have, like, some insider scoop on this thing or something? Because it doesn't make any sense. I don't really know. I don't know if going through the person's phone is a traditional practice when it comes to being an, um interviewed to become an officer or a park ranger or anything of that matter. I don't know if it's a traditional practice based on some the responses of people interviewed in for Newsday. It seems like it's not because people described it as creepy. Like somebody really said this was creepy behavior. So I don't really know where to where the concept of looking at his phone came from. Mm. The weirdest part of this is that they don't even they have him listed as fired from being a park ranger. It's not even true, mm. or, or that they have him employed as a state trooper. Like, what what is even true in this? Who who did this report? George Santos. <laughs> George Santos. Um, it came from Michael O'Keefe from Newsday, but the thing for me is the fact that they said that, um, that somebody in the town of Imslip said that he was fired because of drug use when in fact he doesn't have evidence of ever using drugs because that's just slander. Mm. Like, for a lack of better words, that is slandering somebody's name for false information. So it just seems like there's a lot of people who have done the wrong thing in this case, like go from looking through his phone to firing him or not hiring him for a history of drug use that he doesn't have to just discriminating on him based on just, like, taking care of a human being who has, again, a medical prescription for marijuana that is long-standing it's just a crazy story that i can't wrap my head around i i don't know where it really goes from here at this point i guess it's just a lawsuit and find out really Mm -hmm. i mean he's suing the town of islip um from the lawsuit he's suing the town of islip new york state and new york city do we know how much or just punitive damages and things like that I think it, it's I think it's punitive damages. It, it, they're focusing on compensation for lost pay, emotional distress, and they said quote other damages. So it's there's not a finite or a fixed amount that was reported in the article, but I would ask for a lot of money, personally. Uh, well, we'll see how it goes. I mean, it just it's a it's a varying story nonetheless. I think, and I think one that will definitely get played out. But also, 2019, I think that that was a good while back, I guess, mm-hmm. to bring up a lawsuit. I don't know, I guess, what the timeline works for that, but... I don't know. It also has to be hard suing three different entities as well as the entire state of New York, mm. especially on the basis of it being funneled through, like, NYPD. That has to be a hard um, entity to follow because they're going to lawyer up very heavily. And just going against, like governmental agencies has to be take a toll on you so i'm just waiting to see where the lawsuit goes because from this article and from what i my understanding interpretation of the story it does seem like he was wrongly fired and they didn't really have good grounds to make that call either just not hiring him or just making these claims that it was on the basis of his history of drug reuse which seems to be untrue yep well we'll only find out from here if anything so but otherwise, I know we have some more stories to get to around. I know, Mikey, did you did you still have your report that we have for you on this end? I do, yes. Well, go on ahead. Take it away. All right, cool. So, the Super Bowl took place this Sunday, and the commercials did not fail to gain people's attention. Um, For starters, the world, honestly, it seemed like it stopped for football fans during a, a Tubi commercial, me included. 
So during the commercial break of the game, uh, it appeared it come back uh, to show the Fox Sports broadcasters in the press box, and then the screen started changing as if someone was changing the channel. Captions on YouTube said, quote, no, you didn't sit on the remote. The commercial title was Interface Interaction, and a producer of the ad said, quote, Nicole, who, who is the chief marketing officer at Tubi, and the Tubi team came to us with a unique brief for the streaming sector. Reveal Tubi to the world, personality first, not title first. I remember yelling at my friend saying to, to put Patrick Mahomes back on. Uh, it's, it's been called by many to be a, quote, prank advertisement. And as, as I just mentioned, it, it fooled me. I'm not going to lie. I was scrambling for the remote. Another commercial in particular stood out to football fans and betters alike. In a fan duel advertising, future NFL Hall of Famer tight end Rob Gronkowski attempted a so-called kick of destiny. Prior to the ad, prior to the ad, FanDuel gave the following statement: "Quote: Displace any five-dollar bet on the Super Bowl, then tune in to our commercial during the third quarter to see Gronk attempt a 25-yard field goal. If he kicks it, you'll get a piece of a ten million dollars uh, in bonus bets. Sadly." Though Rob Gronkowski did not make the kick, um, it was a fun night for all those watching. I know I had a great time, and uh, the NFL football season officially come to a, a close. So uh, time for baseball. Adley Rutschman. <laughs> I also remember the two week commercial, and I was just really confused because I also thought like one of my friends was like messing with the television, and I was kind of like not really paying attention in between commercials. And then this way, all my friends were like. Who has the remote? Where's the remote right now? Like, stop, this isn't funny, guys. It's literally a tie game. What's going on? And then we all were just like, oh, we were fooled. It was a really creative and clever commercial. Will I have a Tubi subscription? Probably not. But <laughs> it is getting people talking about Tubi, which is really the goal for most marketing agencies. I, uh, I've actually used it for a couple of years, at mm. least myself. But it's uh, it's free. There's no account you have really? to make or anything oh. like that. Yeah, you just show up. No hey, well, it's also owned by Fox, so I think it was just a good for oh. them being the... Um, I guess the uh, broadcaster for the game, the the rabbit tubey ones. I wasn't a fan of that one. That was, was kind of creepy. creepy. Yeah. yeah, I agree. But a commercial that I really liked was at the end of the Super Bowl when they announced that the M and M's were actually like never gone, and it was just like a publicity stunt. I thought that was really creative what? and funny. They retconned the M and M's being gone mm. because they had a commercial with um, a Maya, Maya Rudolph. Maya Rudolph, and it seemed to solidify that oh. The Eminem characters are really gone. My Rudolph's first big Eminem commercial as like a solo face of the company. And then at the end of the Super Bowl, like I think two commercials after, it was like, jokes on you. We're really all here. And it had all the Eminems lined up at like a press conference or something. And I thought it was really fun and creative because I know the internet in general has been up in arms for what seems like months over the fact that Eminems were quote unquote canceled. But now they're back. And I think it's really cool. I missed out on the whole Eminem saga because I had no idea what that commercial meant. <laughs> I, I didn't know. Everyone was talking about it. I had no idea what was going on. But I'm watching the commercials, and I can't help but think, because I'm a big football fan, so I care about the game, and I really could care less about the halftime show and the commercials. Like, I barely watched anything in Thank between you. the game. And um, No no love for Rihanna? What's up no, with not, this? You know, I'll tell you, Rihanna, that was I've seen better, I've seen worse. <laughs> so I'll put it that way. Middle of the pack, really good job, great voice, <laughs> couple great songs. Congrats on the, the baby coming, but... I've seen better, I've seen worse. Now, the commercials are 
It costs $7 million for a 30-second spot. Yeah, that's crazy. Are you making that back, half of these commercials? Probably not, no. Because some companies, how do you estimate that? Because, of course, a company like Pepsi, if they put a $7 million commercial out, they're going to make the money regardless of mm-hmm. whether the commercial's out or not. So who? how are you getting... The, how do you quantify whether or not you're getting the money back or not? There were some companies that had, I think, multiple commercials maybe that I've never heard of. And I was like, that's a big chunk of your profit to put into, like, Rakuten. If you even have a profit. True. I've never heard of Rakuten. I think they had two commercials on. And I was like, well, this is that's a lot of money to spend. I think they were around last year, too. Oh, okay. Well, Dallas, mm-hmm. you, like, you, just, you just mentioned Rakuten. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched Super Bowl. Um, I left it not knowing where Acton was. I didn't even see it. Mm. So I was I was sitting there stressed. It's like a coupon kind of thing. Yeah, right? I you think get like so. discounts on the shops. But, um, yeah. Kevin, you saying that Rihanna A had a couple of good songs? Mm. Crazy statement. Well, I mean, like you know, she had she had a few really good hits. Hold on, hold on. I have you. to Wait. Dallas. The thing, the thing, the thing is though, like I don't see me personally. I'm gonna get all I hate for this statement, but I don't understand why it's like. Like, why are we stopping the biggest football game of the year? Because like, it's oh, a spectacle. A it's an in entertain. Between. It's an entertainment experience. It is a and sporting event. That's. The I agree with. I agree with having the halftime show. No, the halftime show I, no. is necessary. The halftime show brings in great ratings, which mm-hmm. helps the game over. I mean, more people watch the halftime show every year. I think than the, actual the game. I think the yeah, halftime show a, had like yeah, five million more viewers than what? the actual game. And if it's, is, would you rather have the halftime show or fifteen minutes of? The terrible commercials. I w- no no no. I want I want the I want the fifteen minutes of the commercials with like the going back and forth so I can like get reassurance on my team if we're losing. No, I think Rihanna did an amazing job. Her back backup dancers were fantastic. They were all over Visually. TikTok too. They were all over I, TikTok I, I and they were all like them. me keeping it quiet about being Rihanna's background dancer and not releasing the set list or whatever. Mm. But I think it was a great halftime show. Rihanna did a great job. Um she was amazing. I was kind of there were some songs that I really wanted to hear, like Ponder Replay didn't didn't happen. Yes. But she overall, one of my favorite halftime shows in recent memory. I I'll just uh put up the stats for here. Uh The Athletic on their own rankings it said it was the third best halftime show ever, I'm guessing behind probably Prince and uh maybe I'd guess the Coldplay Beyonce Bruno Mars, maybe. Mm. I, I don't know. You two might be up there. You two You two too after uh, September eleventh. Yeah, that was a really good one. Uh and then the uh, viewership-wise, 118.7 million viewers, the second most-watched halftime show in history. Wow. Uh, so there you go for that. And then uh, at least on the front end, at least, for, I guess, American-wise, it's 28.5 million viewers for the performance itself. So, Why is everyone talking about her forehead? Because <laughs> I, I never looked at Rihanna and said, wow, she's got a big like, head. No. <laughs> never thought of that. Um, A$AP Rocky said, like, Said something about like I oh, love I, I love a woman with a big forehead I and did so see that. yeah. It's also been like a thing that Rihanna has a larger forehead than the average person, but I never I've also never really looked at her forehead like that. Rihanna is a very beautiful woman. Like she looked amazing at the halftime show, mm. um, and looks amazing just in life generally. Um, but people were talking about her forehead and the memes that did come from the Super Bowl, like the memes of like the dancers running on the field and doing that like dance. That, Doing the thing that they were doing, people were having a field day with that, so I thought it was really funny. But I don't know; it was a great halftime show, just in general. I, I was very enthused. I was an enterprise watching it, so it was a great time. I mm-hmm. thought it was better than last year's. I thought last year's was a little overrated. Like the songs are great, the artists are great, but there's way too much going on over twelve. I minutes. agree. I think there I was agree. a lot of artists. I think mm-hmm. you. May, I mean, I don't know who would you would cut out of that though, because I, mean, I think you can't. Lineup. You cannot cut out Snoop Dogg. You cannot cut out Dr. Dre if it's yep. a tribute to like 
West Coast rap. Exactly. Um, but then if you have Dr. Dre, you got to have Eminem. Yeah. And then 50. I mean, like they all, like you said, you don't know who you would cut out of that. I don't want to. I love Kendrick. I love Kendrick. He'd and be I love the that first Kendrick to cut like, out, though. But I agree yes. with you. Because I also think he could have done his own super. I think Kendrick yeah. is solid enough that he could have done his own. Not to say that those aren't solid artists, mm. but I also think him being from a younger generation of the hip hop scene yes. worked kind of against him because it didn't flow with the rest of like the older faces and names that we know and love. Could you imagine a halftime show with Kendrick and he brought out Baby Keem? Don't even get me started. Don't even get me started. We will be here for 45 more minutes. But I would buy a first, a one-way ticket to wherever that Super Bowl is happening to see Kendrick Lamar and Baby Keem perform. I love Kendrick. Super Bowl tickets are really affordable this year, too. They're like (laughs) $25,000. Yeah, that's a bargain price right there. There we go. But uh, no, well, we'll see what happens next year. You know, I don't know who the uh, performer could be, but maybe I, I know we were talking about this a little bit before, at least for Kevin and I. But Taylor Swift is a possibility again. Uh, so, but it's always a possibility for those fans. I'm just like, all right, you can have your fun, but hopefully not uh, not too much. We'll see. But before uh, we get along to the second half hour for our Valentine's Day uh, segment spot, uh, we do want to talk about uh, some historically black beach communities on Long Island that are trying to protect their area itself. Uh, So when you think of the Hamptons, you probably just think of, you know, the glitz and the glam and maybe Kardashians, you know, having a party or something like that. Um, But the Hamptons is also home to a lot of historically black beach communities uh, on the island over here. So this is actually a feature from CBS News that was done a little while back. So actually Sag Harbor Hills, Azarest, and Nineveh have become a haven for middle class black homeowners. This had started in 1947 as Maud Terry and Amaza Lee Meredith had secured a portion of the land from real estate seller Daniel Gale from what from land that was then deemed to be not as desirable as it is now. However, with redlining and other racist and restrictive practices, these plant communities have been a spot of, I guess in a, in a, um, in a place with that, I should say, uh, have been a spot for a haven for local residents in the community. However, real estate developers are looking to utilize that land for more expensive summer housing, possibly leaving these historic districts in danger of being demolished. However, if the towns are to be designated as a historic districts, they will be able to provide much more protection from some, if any, moderation by other landowners and what that property could be used for. The Sag Harbor Hills Azarest Nineveh subdivisions, or SANS, stands as one of the last, quote, historically black beach communities remaining, end quote, as many of them have gone in the developers' hands to be modified. Public officials have agreed that it should be merited historic as a consensus from community members. Only time will tell if this piece of history will remain or get obscured from the history of Long Island. So granted, I'm, I'm curious as to all your thoughts on this end and how, how you uh, look at these uh, instances here. I think it's really cool and interesting to see different avenues of black history um, just in general, especially when you think about historically, you don't really think about the wealth that black families did have in the past. That is something that is not really talked about because you always have to, it's, there, it's, it's really easy to frame black history from a negative or a sadder perspective because that is the truth of the reality but i also know in um i think cape cod or martha's vineyard there's also like a historical like event for people of color especially black people to go like vacation there because it was like a thing that happened historically so i love seeing this from in different communities and i also think if they're able to achieve um you know like the status of being a protected area because of historical value that'll help mitigate it from like the effects of like gentrification and you know the way life changes and preserving um that history is really really important just to see like 
black history isn't always about suffering there are moments in points of beauty where the black community was thriving especially in areas that you don't really hear about especially like in the hamptons which often is put in a very um like white centric viewpoint historically and in like pop culture so seeing stories like this are really important and and so definitely i think it'll be interesting to see how the historic wise happens they've had a public meetings in 2019 but it's been a little bit of a while since they really tried to hold those again but i think uh you know after the pandemic and all that now it's all ramping up back again to see what will happen through here i mean you hope historic districts can happen so you're able to preserve these lands especially uh, for black homeowners as well because mm-hmm. a lot of that time they they have they were saying in the article it's more of a shared sense of a community in that sense uh because there was one interview they did where um this one person now who's 80 years old he used to go to school back in the day and he was one of the only black kids in the school and then afterward though when they started having their own communities and things like that when they moved over then they had that sense of community in that sense as well mm-hmm. which i think is very important in that aspect uh but granted um i know you obviously look at other um you know other uh, areas as well like uh, tulsa oklahoma of course or black wall street and all of that lots of other areas around uh in that sense too but uh, i guess how how do you see this playing out if anything i know it's it'll vary in terms of things i think it's going to be a hard-fought battle to achieve historical status as an area because governments are going to want to profit off of areas and gentrification does typically bring in a lot more revenue than the traditional communities that exist there which gentrification i hope this isn't a controversial thing to say is a bad thing because of the communities it erases not only just necessarily black communities like gentrification happening in places known as chinatowns across the united states it's hard to see that history and that beautiful culture be lost so i think it's really important that they fight for historical status and prominence because this is something that should be celebrated and represented equally across the country no matter what community it represents or the people that flock or gravitate towards there i think this will end up uh this will end up being preserved because there's a there's already a show of community support if we're talking about it on this show so i think that it's difficult for it to be destroyed, taken down, and, and something to be built on the land. Because, unfortunately, in reality, too, if you build on that land, like you said, Dallas, the percentage of buyers and renters and owners in the Hamptons are going to be upper-class white individuals, and it takes away a black community spot. in And it, whether it's black or not, it just a mi- minority community spots are few and far between. So I think that it's going to be tough to justify getting rid of this one. I agree. I completely agree. And it's just like, this. I am a big fan of things being preserved for historical value. I love walking through neighborhoods that have their own unique sense of feels and vibes and just personal stories to them. That's why I love like certain areas of Boston because it tells a different story from what people traditionally view Boston as. Like people like to say that Boston is a very white city. It depends on the areas that you go to. Like it's a very diverse area and place and it all goes to show from the communities that you experience and the communities that are preserved and the people that get to stay in those areas that they've like solidified roots in and i think it's really important to acknowledge the roots that that have been placed in this area of the hamptons and not letting them be sullied or just get gotten rid of and i go back to the fact that areas like this across the country are in danger and it'll just affect the way that people of different cultures are able to find community with within one another if these places like this are erased off the map and changed in favor of adding another Starbucks or another Kava, which I like Kava. I love Kava. But does a Kava need to be in every area of every community? Probably not, because we should focus on more of the 
mom and pop restaurants and places like that. And I think with our exposure, hopefully the Long Island Advocate can get on it. Maybe have a little report going for At them. Long Island Advocate, please. We will get a get a good feature there, hopefully for something uh, on that as well. Because certainly it'd be great to get this preserved so it's able to be uh, staying where it needs to be and have a great sense of community uh, for the Black community and also other marginalized groups around the United States. So hopefully that will be a good case when the time comes. Uh, nevertheless, we are going to go and take a quick song break through here. But I will say we are going to get to that Valentine's Day section because, Kevin, I know your package is coming. So we will have that up for you next. The frequency, 88.7 FM. The call letters, WRHU. The website, WRHU.org. Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call. Morning Wake Up Call. Lively talk. Long Island life. National news. International issues. Through the minds and mouths of Hofstra students. Of course, Paramore is crush, 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 because, you know, you got to have a crush on Valentine's Day. So there you go. Uh, of course, Paramore actually just had their new album, actually. Uh, this was uh, This Is Why. That was, I think, last week. I, I was like, it's it's okay. Not, not the best album I've heard from them, but not the end of the world. Uh, so you definitely have that there. We're just going to actually go right into Kevin's package if you want to go and do that. Uh, so, Kevin, do you want a little brief opener for your package here? It's pretty much in there in the recording. Fun stuff just going around WRHU asking some of our fellow morning wake-up people some questions. So, Luke, whenever you want to run that. Sounds good. Here we go. So what? So it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard. And we're going to have to work at this every day, but I want to do that because I want you. I want all of you forever, you and me, every day. <laughs> On Valentine's Day, romantic movies like The Notebook are a common way to end the day. Whether you're someone in love, searching for it, or convinced you'll never find it, we've all seen a romantic movie or two. For this holiday edition of the Morning Wake-Up Call, I went around asking members of the show and department what their favorite big-screen love story was. I followed that up by asking if someone made a movie about their own love life, who would portray them? Thursday show producer Ronnie Gonzalez gave us an unexpected answer to start us off. Alright, favorite movie? It's not really romance, but it's romantic. I gotta go Goodwill Hunting. And if I was to have my own romance movie, the person to play me would be uh, Anthony Ramos. I thought Goodwill Hunting was about a smart janitor and his therapist, but it's safe to say our friend Ronnie saw it a little different. After Ronnie, I pivoted to Alexa Servo, our current morning show director, then followed up with some thoughts from her predecessor, Danny DiCrescenzo. Um, favorite romance movie, 10 Things I Hate About You, and I think probably Emma Stone. La La Land and Ryan Gosling would definitely play me. I guess in order to be a morning show director, you have to be well-versed in Hollywood romance. From the Thursday show, we had host Jason Wyke with some great choices from both past and present cinema. Now, I'm not a huge romance guy, but I'd have to say I love the romance of Titanic. And then um, for someone to play me in a romance movie, I would have to go with Miles Teller. I definitely think that because he's a Delco guy not too far from me over in Philadelphia, he could capture the accent. I feel like we look a lot alike, similar hairstyles. Now, I don't want to spoil the end of Jason's favorite romance movie, The Titanic, but let's just say it would have been nice to see Jack and Rose finish their story. Lastly, I went to the top of the ladder for our final voice, WRHU's Commander-in-Chief, John Mullen. Well, uh, my favorite romance movie of all time is called Princess Bride. And I do wish I looked like this, but I have to pick a blonde person, so I'd have to pick young Robert Redford. Young, because I have similar hair. Uh, he's probably a lot better looking than me, but but I have, do have the similar blonde hair. 
Um, so I'd have to say young Robert Redford. Our friends here at WRHU certainly have a good lineup of movies to watch tonight with that special someone. I hope you pick the right one so you can avoid ending up like this guy. That was our package for the week. Thank you to everyone from the morning show and John Mullen for contributing to that. I was going to grab Mario for it, but was not in his office Friday afternoon, so probably out cycling or something, so I had to forget about it and move on to John Mullen here. But I'm a big Valentine's Day movie guy, romantic movie. I, I like personally my favorites, The Wedding Singer you heard from the end there. I threw a little notebook clip in. But then some interesting choices, Goodwill Hunting, Titanic, um, what else was there? La La Land, which I never really got into. Do you guys have any favorites? Um, I don't know if this cons- counts as a rom com, but it's a very it's like about a wedding. Um, it bridesmaids, bridesmaids. Yeah, it definitely yes. counts. If Goodwill Hunting counted, <laughs> that, then anything. You're bridesmaids say is really fun. Crazy Rich Asians was much newer. I one. really love from just a uh, storytelling and you know cinematography standpoint. It's a really beautiful movie, and I really like the um, you know community behind it. I think those are great. Pretty Woman is also I think. A movie that I watched very early in life and probably shouldn't have, but I, it's a movie that I just keep coming back to that I really enjoy. Yeah, I, I I'd second John's point for Princess Bride. I always loved that movie. Also, Good Will Hunting is also one of my favorite movies, but not one I'd put on a romantic list. It's not list. on my romance list. That's De- crazy. Definitely not there. And then that's that's really it. I don't really have any people who would portray me, I don't think. I, I, I don't want really think uh, anybody, but. Chloe and or Halle Bailey. Okay. I don't know about... Well... They're from uh, Gronish, right? Yes. No, no, not Gronish. No, yeah, yes. they were on. They were on Gronish. Yep. Chloe or Halle Bailey, I think. Is yeah. she the daughter in Blackish? Is that the same? No, show? that's Yara. No, Yara the twins. Blackish, the Blackish? prequel to Gronish. Yes. Yes, yes right. Yara Shahidi is the daughter in Blackish. Okay. And then that's Chloe and Halle Bailey about. play her friends. Uh, and they're like they're the twin Gronish. cheerleaders. Yeah. Or track athletes. I didn't watch Gronish. I didn't really watch it either, but I know them from like their music, and I really. Oh, I know this girl, Chloe Bailey. She's been in stuff. And they did the theme for the. For oh, maybe the I know her yeah. sister. Yeah. I have no idea. Um, Hallie is gonna be in the Little Mermaid. Yeah, that's what I know. Mm-hmm. That's what I know her sister from. They look the same. Mm-hmm. The two of them. But either one of them, I really enjoy both of them. Yeah, I'd probably go with Adam Sandler to play you. Yeah, to play me. An older version of you, or are we Whatever aging him down? Are we de aging Adam Sandler? Whatever version mm-hmm. he wants to play, because wedding, like I said, Wedding Singer, that's my favorite one. Uh, mm-hmm. Adam Sandler is my all time favorite too. Never fails to make me laugh, so I'd go with him. Nice, just because cool guy, cool overall it's, cool guy. He comes to Hofstra sometimes, plays basketball. Which yeah. I want to spot him. I want to see him on Hofstra's campus. I think I would freak out because it'd just be so funny. Because he didn't go here. No, he went to NYU. Yeah, he went to NYU, but he just loves wearing Hofstra merch. Like, I love seeing that one picture of him yeah. float around the internet every, <laughs> every like, four months. People are like, Adam Sandler and Hofstra merch. I'm like, yeah, this is, like, a well-documented photo. Maybe we'll just come on the show. Well, we did an Adam Sandler night at the basketball game. <gasps> Stop, because that would be that so would fun. <laughs> that would no, pack yeah. the Mac. That would pack the Mac. No, well, because I, well, I was like, Florida Panthers, of course, well, back when they could, I guess, did this, they like the Kevin Spacey in space thing or whatever. Oh. But we but we have the Adam Sandler one, though. Yeah, now it's terrible, but the Adam Sandler day would be great. You get all like the, you dress up as the film characters, too, so you could be- That would be so fun. I would rock the Adam, my favorite thing is on TikTok when people are like, 
oh, in my Adam Sandler fit. And it's just like huge, <laughs> huge basketball yeah. shorts, hat that's sideways for no reason, a really big t-shirt. And I'm like, this is just me on like a, a Saturday at home, not doing anything. And then late night shows, he would always, he would always wear that same outfit. But I think when Robin Williams died, it was like one of the sole times he ever wore a suit on mm-hmm. a late night show when he came in to mm-hmm. talk. So yeah. Had the had the respect for him there. It I sounds. might send out some emails to see if we can get Adam Sandler on the on the morning show. I yeah, like, I think he would do it. You're for one the of the directors now, so that's, that's true. Right. I could I I'll see what I can do. I'll pull some strings, but I think it would be very fun to have Adam Sandler just talk about why do you wear Hofstra merch? That's true. That Where did you get this from? A lingering question. Mm-hmm. We'll find out. I just want to know what his connection to the university is. Just local, I guess. Mm-hmm. Local. Nassau County kid, so. I didn't. I never realized he was from Long yeah. Island. Yeah. He was. He's one of the celebrities that I just assume is from Massachusetts because so many of them are from the Greater Boston area. Mm. Well, I want to say he. He might have either he was born somewhere else and grew up here, or he was born here and grew up somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Because there is a uh, yeah, born in Brooklyn, so he is a, a mm. Nassau County. Um, that would make sense if he was, if he just just made the border. Mm. Well, while while we're at it, I know there's always uh, plenty of topics to go around. I know Dallas, we have one at least for Valentine's Day because it is coming do. up, and it's it's a concern for a lot of people because hey, you gotta get those flowers, right? I mean, you have to go and deal with that. But go ahead. This story initially started as me talking about flower prices, but I found another um, report from 2022, so it's a little older, talking about the cost of Valentine's Day. So we'll get to that in a little bit. But for those who are fond of flowers for themselves or their loved ones, this Valentine's Day be mo- may be more expensive this year than ever before due to inflation impacting the flower industry like every other industry in America. In New England specifically, florists have spoken about the rising costs and the pressure to meet Valentine's Day demands to keep their businesses afloat. In Fall River, of my home state of Massachusetts, a shop is selling a dozen red roses in a vase for $89.99. Another shop in Wachusett talked about selling them for $65. A multitude of factors have been attributed to the uptick in floral pricing, from shipping, fuel costs, upcharges from vendors and wholesalers, and supply chain issues across the line. With rising costs, showing your love, the ones you love just how much you care may be a major hit to your wallet. And going back to 2022, the average cost per person spending for Valentine's Day plans was $175.41, according to the National Retail Federation. Candy attributed to 56% of that cost, greeting cards, flowers, and the total spending across the board in the United States was $23.9 billion on Valentine's Day alone. And no love to your wallet, I'm sure, for Valentine's Day. No love to your wallet at all. But, you know, the the companies are going to commercialize on the opportunity Mm -hmm. for that. I mean, especially when it comes to everything of, you know, you have to get something for your partner, your significant other, whoever that may be. You know, it's like you just have to do it because that's the purpose of the Mm -hmm. the holiday itself. It's it's just just... the the commercialization, the capitalistic Mm -hmm. interpretation of Valentine's Day is what makes me kind of... I don't want to say anti-Valentine's Day. I just don't like the expectation and the pressure that society puts on people to make Valentine's Day this big, exuberant event. Like, if you yeah. really love and care about somebody, one day shouldn't affect how much you sh- can show your appreciation for them. Like, that's just a societal marker that's put on people it should be like every day like especially if you're going to value something like if you know if it's like national grandparents day they have that stuff mm-hmm. love your grandparents every day exactly. i mean you'll be thankful they're here for goodness sake not just like mother mothers and fathers they mm-hmm. do the same thing it's like oh you know you gotta do one day where everybody gets everything show them the same appreciation mm-hmm. every day i'm also I, just not a, a big gift person like mm-hmm. i gifts stress me out giving them receiving them like 
everything about gifts just like i'm always just like is my reaction good enough to receive this gift did i pick a good enough gift will this actually fit the person i'm buying it for so it's just like a hectic a hectic time to just feel the pressure of participating in who would have thought that flowers and eggs would be oh. so unaffordable mm. at this ever mm-hmm. i just too Two items that are renewable, they don't run out, mm-hmm. and you cannot afford either of them. Mm-hmm. $89. And also in the article that I referenced for this story, these businesses are like, we're trying our best to not make flowers crazy inexpensive because then nobody will buy them. Yep. But they still have to try to find ways to make a profit because they talked about how wholesalers and vendors are making them are raising their prices just because of supply chain issues or like the cost of like harvesting and cultivating flowers has gone up but to know that like people are expected to spend this much money and this 90 dollars for 12 flowers that are going to die in two days it's just a crazy thing to wrap my head around i'm also not a big flower person flowers are really cool i think they're really pretty but i just don't like how they aren't long lasting mm. because they'll just like again die in a couple days but I saw some people on uh, Vanderpool making a Lego flowers. I know that, those are cool. Those are cute. Yeah. I think that's actually really cute because it's like a fun activity. I think like activities and like, I don't know. I'm a big quality time person. Yeah. I think that's really fun. Yeah, my sister's boyfriend made her a uh, glass rose. Mm. You know the, the when they heat the glass and you go to like classes and do stuff? Yeah. So he made one of those as a gift. That's a good one because she obviously is never going to get rid of that. Mm. That never, unless, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, God oh. forbid I say it, but my <laughs> friends have been on that end. That's the. Oh. But then you know that's that's the lasting gift. So maybe for Dallas, that's what she would like: the plastic rose, mm-hmm. the glass rose. I think I I find a lot more value in things that are like long standing that I can keep for a longer period of time. Like flowers, they're like cool. They're really pretty. I really like sunflowers, but again, when they're cut from when they're cut and then given to you in like a bouquet, that's not a long-standing thing. My mom, if she's listening, she knows she has a really bad habit of holding onto flowers for entirely too long. So they'll just be fully dead on our kitchen table. And I'm like, Mom, it's time to let them go. So I think that's probably where it stems from for me. Then I just see the flowers dying. And PTSD. Like, PTSD. Brings you back home. Not the flowers. <laughs> mom, I love you. Happy Valentine's Day. Um, throw the flowers out that I know are on the kitchen table right now. So, but before we go, I know we have one last uh, quick story here for us. So, granted, I know uh, you ever you always have company names and things like that. And you think there's some, you know, pretty clever ones and all that. But it doesn't make you spend any more anything while you're over here. So, uh, granted, in the UK, apparently it does. Uh, there was a simple business survey, simply business, I should say, survey that was done uh, that said out of the over 2,000 participants that were surveyed, 64% would be, quote, more likely to notice a company with a humorous handle, end quote, than one that wasn't. Uh, the UK is also conducting a, a Britain's Best Small Business Name competition uh, where the winner will end up receiving £2,500 and a trophy, so you'll have that. Uh, the winner last year was a coffee shop na- called Perky Blinders, uh, so some other names that were also there for any interests. Uh, Dead Happy, which is a life insurance company. Uh, Planet of the Grapes, which is a wine bar. Uh, Hail Satan, which is spelled S-E-I-T-A-N, which is a vegan food processing uh, place. Sell fridges, I guess just selling fridges, the fridge supplier, and Jack the Chipper, which is a fish and chip shop. Uh, so does, does anyone have any creative business names? They would I don't, up? but I do think that it's a lot f- more fun when it's stuff like this. Like, I would, I would get a chuckle out of Dead Happy, 
Planet of the Grapes, Jack the Chipper, I think they're really fun, and I do think it turns your head a little more, and it might be more unique to come up in a search bar if you're looking for stuff like that. But I think I do value when businesses are more creative with, like, their decor or their logos or, like, their name, because I feel like we as a society have gone to, like, a modernization route, which just gets boring when things are, like, all gray and beige. The, the McDonald's, I don't know if you were seeing this when they when they tore down the McDonald's on the Hempstead Turnpike. They're making that McDonald's the same, it's, like, the same gray box oh, now. It's so, it's, it's, I don't know what the value of it is. I don't know why we have gravitated towards that realm. Even with, like, houses, like, the modern house movement, I'm not into that. I think it's, it's kind of, it's just lame. Like, I want to live in a house that's, like, fun and like niche and has like a fun color palette instead of just like gray walls and like tile floors or whatever kevin mikey any good business names you think of anything i got nothing but this hail satan one i didn't even know what satan the food was i don't first of all i don't think the name's gonna work out (laughs) second of all this looks awful Because it's vegan food, so it's the, the, the plant-based meat substitution. It looks so... It looks like five-month-old meatloaf <laughs> that yeah. you just left out. Oh, don't, don't be hating on that meatloaf. I love my meatloaf. No, I'm, but uh, five-month-old meatloaf. Okay, You hey. don't love that. It looks like... Oh, Kevin, no. it just looks awful. No, it's the it's the Drake line. Your girl is better in the morning than a slice of pizza. I mean, what? hey. Yeah. <laughs> Off the dome. That's crazy, Luke. But um, I do agree with Kevin that maybe that name might not float for a while. Um, Vegan food. My dad recently, or not really recently, has like kicked out like red meat from his diet, so he's been eating more like vegan food. Mm. I do agree that some of it's better than others. Um, A lot of it isn't great, but if it makes you happy, if that's the lifestyle you want to live, I struggle very hard to give up cheeseburgers. I love a good cheeseburger. So not for me. But if it works for you, it works for you. But I do agree the the hail Satan is a little confusing if you don't really know what they're referencing. It's hard if you make it super niche that it kind of ostracizes others because they're like, what the heck are you talking about? Mm. What's this cell fridges? Am I missing something with this name? It's, it's, it's just, just a fridge cell fridges. I know, but it's, it's a fridge. That's just the name is cell fridges. I they sell fridges. It was it was like the top ones they thought were creative. I that there's one no, I don't. There's no other meaning to this because you know like. Planet of the Grapes, Planet of the Apes. Selfridges. Uh, oh, maybe I was gonna say like Jeff Bridges or something, but that would, I don't know. I don't think that uh, that really works. In I this think case. Jack the Chipper is really good because this is based in the UK. You know, Jack the. Ripper. That's a good one. Yeah. If they have like a fun like horror theme with it, that's really cool. I think more ref- restaurants should invest in a good theme. I was I was telling Kevin before the show. I was watching Dance Moms last night, and they I don't watch it very often. I, when I go with my friend to eat baked potatoes, that's when I go watch it. But uh, yeah, of course, it's a thing we do. But anyways, we uh, did that, and there was this one store there. It was like a, a wine, uh, I guess like a, a bar or something. It was called Olive or Twist. Oh, okay, so that's there, fun. There was, there was a couple that's good fun. ones over there. We have uh, one in Huntington called the Cappuccino Cafe. Mm. So it's a whole cat coffee cafe, which is fun. Mm-hmm. So I but. feel like restaurants should go back to having fun themes. Shout out all the Rainforest Cafes across the world because oh, yeah. that's a theme and you Are can they still make. going, really? There, there are like five in the United States, I think. Disney, I think, still has one, right? Uh, Maybe. They, they had a 2019, sure. I remember. Because they have that, the Animal Kingdom that they have the Rainforest Cafe in, and it fits. No. So I'm... That was in, it was in Disney Springs, I thought. I don't think oh, it's it in the I've Animal only Kingdom. gone once. So. Yeah. But I, I, I think there are some restaurants that have a strong identity and a brand, like Rainforest Cafes. And I think that's really something in society that we don't have anymore. Mm. And I want to go back to it because I love fun, 
themed environments. I love a good theme. I'm a big fan of themes. Like theme parties, love them so much. So I think we should go back to that mindset rather than like restaurants that are kind of just like any other restaurant in the planet. Mikey, oh, I was going to say, go ahead, Kevin. There's only 16 Rainforest Cafes left in the United States and 27 worldwide. So Wow. It's over. <laughs> it's over. It's over. The Rainforest Cafe. Cafe. Done. Oh, My, gosh. Mikey, you have the last word here. Any uh, Any business names? I genuinely have no clue. It's hard to be creative. You know? Um, Rainforest Cafe. Um, I don't know what happened. Like, <sighs> I used to eat there. I think. I think. <laughs> Unconfirmed. Uh, it's uh, yeah. Um, but uh, that's wild. I do think like we should go back to having more unique, a more unique society. You know, rather than again, I'm anti anti like the modern aesthetic mm. it's not fun like it's not it's boring it's so boring you gotta be unique it's for adults it's for adults <laughs> you don't want to go to adult places no i'm not i'm not ready for that mindset yet you know like in the matrix how you just have the one guy like but yeah. they're all the same it's the same thing mm-hmm. it's like a spongebob norm right <laughs> i mean it's like hi i'm normal like mm-hmm. what but i yeah bring back fun theme restaurants um bring back the rainforest cafe bring back yes. the rainforest cafe Wherever the CEO of the Rainforest Cafe is, I hope you're listening, and I hope you know we appreciate your commitment to a bit, your commitment to a theme, and we applaud you for going forward with it. Like Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese is another place that commits to a theme. I appreciate Chuck E. Cheese for that. Except the mouse. uh, The mouse is kind of... I like the old mouse. Now Mm -hmm. the mouse is like this like 12-year-old mouse. It's kind of weird. I also think we're going... we, We need to go back to like mascots having mascots mascots are oh, fun yes like the m&ms i'm so happy they're back because i love cartoon mascots oh yeah i think we as a society have earned fun things to look forward to i love mr peanut so when mr peanut came back i was like yes <laughs> yes out mr. mr peanut, peanut. yes oh man great time oh, who doesn't love a peanut with a monocle on the top hat <laughs> come on it's very funny it's a good ad campaign but uh, well, otherwise, uh, hopefully everybody has an awesome Valentine's Day. Hope you have a lot of love. I, I can't say I'm going to get that today, but you know what? We're going to find out uh, if anything goes along. St- stay tuned for next week. Maybe I'll have some updates for you <laughs> if um, anything goes along. I, I doubt it. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we are going to go get you going. So please, stay safe, everybody. Have a great Valentine's Day. We will see you next week. Have a good one.